0: Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. We ask you to subscribe to our feed. You get new episodes right to you through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in, or go right to nationalreview.com and listen. Enjoy, share, and please leave reviews for Political Beats. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram, my tag team partner, standing by in a in a house full of illness, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you?
1: Uh, I have to admit, I'm not feeling very good. I, I'm pretty sick. My, my wife is sick. My baby seems to be doing all right. But my mother-in-law is probably going to get sick, too. And, you know, uh, mama told me not to come. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that does sound like a setup to a song of one of our uh, yeah. featured artists today. Find Jeff on Twitter at esoteric cd and we welcome back for a second appearance on the old program uh a promotion since the last time we talked i believe he is uh, now
1: as i always like to say scott good things happen to those who join us on political beats that's right you want to climb the corporate ladder that the first way to do that is to be a guest here
0: on the old podcast. Uh, he's now the editor-in-chief of the Wall Street Journal, also author of the book The Father and the Son, My Father's Journey into the Monastic Life. Find him on Twitter at Murray Matt, and just flip that to find out he is Matt Murray. Matt, welcome back on to Political Beats. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back on uh, really glad to be with
2: you and really excited to talk about this artist today.
0: Absolutely. We hit the artist in a second, but first, we uh, we've done this once before during our first episode, but a brief refresher for those joining us for the first time. Matt Murray, what's your political beat, and how did you get into this world?
2: Well, I came to the Wall Street Journal 25 years ago. I just celebrated my 25th anniversary here, and uh, over the years here, I covered just a lot of different kinds of things and worked my way up through the ranks and all kinds of different editing positions and I've tangentially and sometimes directly been involved in politics as an editor and reporter throughout. And now in this job, I guess you could say I'm kind of in the crosshairs of every single political wind um, imaginable. So uh, so I've, I've, I've kind of been in it. We've been weaving in and out of it for a long time here.
0: And uh, Matt, uh, choosing a, another artist to feature on the old program here. It's Randy Newman, and for some, for some, it might be thought of as a uh, you know this uh, the short people guy and the, and the weird uh, a novelty the weird, artist. Novelty yeah. artist. That's exactly what I'm looking for, but uh, but but so much more than that. We'll we'll dig into it during the program today. Matt takes the floor first, though, to tell us why he loves Randy Newman, how you got into him, and and why other people should care about Randy Newman.
2: Well, you touched on it there, Scott and Jeff, both, which is, you know, some people think of him as a novelty o- artist. Uh, he does not have the most appealing voice. Sometimes he can be acerbic and cynical. So in some ways, he's reputationally challenged out there. And and I'm here to say, I think we're all here to say that uh, it's, it's unfair if people aren't willing to dive in on the artist. You know, I, I got into him first actually when i was 11 which is when short people came out and it was a bit of a phenomenon across the country and i'm sure at 11 i thought short people was kind of a funny song in a way that i don't think now but what i really remember is my brother saying to me you know it's not really about short people And I, and, and, you know, you're at 11, you know, you're, I'm starting to listen to music and I'm starting to think about different layers and meaning, and that's intriguing. And that I got into further with Randy Newman and there's something else going on here and it's interesting. And, and that sort of started the path of being engaged with him uh, over time. And we'll talk about short people cause I feel differently about it today, but, but I think, I think what people need to know about him is basically uh, three things, I think, coming into it. One is as a musician, as a songwriter, as a as an artist in the pop era, I don't think there's anybody better than him at song craftsmanship, at musicality, at understanding what makes a song work. Uh, he's a trained musician. He's a natural pop uh, songwriter. He's been doing it since – he was a teenager. He's just the foundation is so strong. I, I, you know, Paul McCartney or Bob Dylan or whoever you say. I don't think there's anybody better than him at that. And then I think, of course, that's just the foundation because as a writer and as a lyricist, he has an incredibly unique and, at its best, incredibly sharp and incisive view of human beings and our lives and a, and a real unique take on us that's very fresh, very insightful, sometimes very acerbic sometimes cynical. Also, I think uh, very truthful in a way that can be like a great satirist can do with their best, expose reality, sometimes implicate us in what he's saying. And and related to that kind of truthfulness, and something I'm really excited to talk a little bit about as we move on, is he also, for all the reputation he has as a cynic and as a satirist, has a really kind of um, emotional side Mm. that can be very honest, and he, you know, I think as he's gotten older, more of that's come out and sometimes been the highlights. He can write very direct, economical, and very precise, finely observed, detailed, really poignant songs that are moving in a way that sort of taps into a direct emotional vein. He, he is not a cliché monger. He is very economical. He's a very, very precise artist. Some of those early songs, particularly, are almost like short stories, like Sherwood Anderson or something. And 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 I think he's written some stuff in the popular era of the last fifty years. He he's written some of the most lasting, impactful, timeless stuff of, of any artist I can think of.
1: Randy Newman is not a novelty artist. Ray Stevens is a novelty artist. Okay. The Streak is a novelty song. Um, you know, Rednecks is not a novelty song by any means. And, you know, it's funny. So Matt talked about how his brother explained to him that there was something going on. For, my, for me, my introduction to, to Randy Newman wasn't short people at all. I don't, I don't know if I even knew that song existed. It came from my dad. My dad It was the fountain of, of so many wonderful uh, you know, musical artists that I ended up loving throughout my life uh, he literally you know i don't know where we were probably just sitting down in the basement you know in his den you know just you know shooting the breeze talking about music and for whatever reason newman came up as a topic i didn't really know who he was and so my dad explained to me he's like okay jeff okay i want you to imagine that okay here's a song and it's a song about slavery you know and i'm like okay <laughs> and he's like okay but, but, but well he, here's the first twist the song is about slavery from the point of view of the slaver <laughs> who is <laughs> was enslaving these people. I'm like, okay. He's like, okay. Second twist. It's done as an ad pitch. He's trying to convince them that slavery is wonderful and that they should go sail away to South Carolina and become slaves. I'm like, okay. And then here's the final twist. All of this grim irony is set to the most beautiful music you have ever heard in your entire life. And that's actually probably the best thumbnail way to describe Sail Away, the song off of his his, his famous third album uh, that is a masterpiece, maybe one of the greatest songs he ever wrote um, and, of course, is written. It, it's it's one of the darkest things that I had ever heard at the time. And I was young. I must have been 12, 13 years old. But I got it.
3: Take care of his home and his family. You would be as happy as a monkey in a monkey tree. You're all gonna be an American. Sail away, sail away. We will cross mighty ocean into Charleston Bay, sail away, sail away,
1: we will cross the mighty ocean into Charleston Bay. I don't think I got it as deeply as I get it now. There are so many layers to it, but it really kind of set me on the right track to understanding who Randy Newman was as an artist and the levels that he worked on, the so many layered levels that he worked on. But the thing about Newman is, is as Matt pointed out, is that if you just reduce him to either these like very dark and bizarre grotesques or you know to cheap snark and uh you know easy jokes you miss something that's really at the core of the man who is a deep emotional sincerity and vulnerability um that willingness to to depict uh the lives of others uh, people who who's you know Political views and, and life, you know, experiences he couldn't necessarily relate to. Uh, he didn't live those lives, but he could put himself in in those shoes. Is kind of one of the more impressive acts of cultural empathy that I've ever seen in music. And of course, it's set to to me some of the most glorious piano based music I don't know if I would always call it rock in fact it's the funny thing about Newman mm-hmm. you know there were a couple of albums sort of in the late 70s early 80s where he takes on a more 80s rock like Sheen but for the longest time his his basic milieu was either sort of classical composition or maybe you know blues New Orleans barrel house blues and jazz and those sorts of influences so he, he the story of, of Newman of course for those who don't know he, he's from Los Angeles his comes from a family of like film composers. Um, and uh, he, his mother's side of the family was from New Orleans, Louisiana. So that's where he grew up as a really young kid. Spent his summers there. That's where he, infl- he, he absorbed the influence of people like Fats Domino, and you know that barrelhouse piano style, which he says you know to this day is the thing that that he enjoys the most. Um, but then he moved back to Los Angeles. So here, here's you know a Los Angeles Jewish kid who's able to write about some of the weirder, darker, stranger corners of America, and particularly the American South, mm. in a way that, you know, as, a, as an outsider that nobody has really been able to do since the band. And oh. the band, at least, you know, they might have been four-fifths Canadian, but they at least had one <laughs> ringer. You know, they had Levon Helm, you know, to, to keep them grounded, at least somewhat, in that, in that, that tradition. Uh, Newman just did it, you know, through a little childhood experience and a vast, vast reservoir of of human empathy and the the willingness and the ability to appreciate the old weird america that very few people have ever done since then i you know what i can't even remember if grail marcus wrote about newman in, in um mystery train but or uh um, he yeah did, he, did. He, he was a big uh, he was, was a mid, fan, yeah yeah invisible republic yeah i mean i think that that's you know he's exactly the right choice for that so like you know we'll get to those albums um, but I guess the first thing to do and to briefly cover this is that Newman didn't just, you know, come out of nowhere. He is he was a professional songwriter first. He put his first song out on the B side of a single as a as a writer, not as a, a performer, in nineteen sixty the pre-Beatles era before the Beatles came to America Randy Newman was already publishing songs he was a prose pro and he was probably one of the more beloved artists or songwriters uh, in both the Los Angeles scene and in the United Kingdom where he consistently would place all sorts of numbers with various artists all the way up through the late 60s and even early 70s before he became known as an artist in his own right um the interesting thing about a lot of these songs, most of which he never returned to, some of which he did. You know, he, he went back and he did like "Mama Told Me Not to Come." That's from 1967. Mm-hmm. Simon Smith and the Amazing Dancing Bear. I think he gave that away to like Alan Price or something like that. Mm-hmm. The, the the keyboardist from the Animals. You know, this stuff all has a lot of that has its origins in the 60s. But a lot of his best songs, he was writing literally because he knew he was going to be ventriloquizing. He, uh, my favorite one of those early years is uh, "I Don't Want to Hear It Anymore," which. Which is covered by dusty springfield um, on dusty and memphis famous version but also done really well by scott walker of the walker brothers and i actually prefer that version but you know i'm just a scott walker fanboy
4: Lord, ain't it sad,
3: said the woman the ball, that when a nice boy like that
1: Know if you guys had any thoughts on this early part of newman's career
2: i you, you know to me I, I you said it pretty well jeff i think i think what's funny when you know randy newman the artist later is you go back and listen to some of these songs through those very 60s arrangements and they sound a little subversive like he's sneaking things in uh, which might be one of the reasons some of the songwriters liked him so much uh there was a famous judy collins i think in 1966 as well I'm with you on the Scott Walker, which I like a lot. I like they tell me it's summer from the Fleetwoods. I don't <laughs> that's a song he never returned to, but it's it's great. I it's I think Mama told me I think the Eric Burden Mama told me not to come is hilarious. Given who, given where Eric Burden was at that time, <laughs> <laughs>
1: this, is, this is during Eric Eric Burden, who was the lead singer formerly of the Animals. This is during his like flower power psychedelic phase. Yeah. We actually have an Eric Burden album on the wall of our apartment, not because it's any good, but because it's just like so trippy that it actually looks good as wall decoration. That's the that's the place he was in at the time.
2: And yeah, and and the other one because you mentioned him early because it's an influence and for for young radio almost been great to have this happen is is fats domino doing Have You Seen My Baby I think yeah. in sixty eight or sixty nine, and you know just the the album to get on this is called On Vine Street and there's a new new version that just came out with his covers. But I think what it speaks to, again, going to, you know, sometimes the perceived narrowness of this artist is there is a wide, wide range of different kinds of artists from very conventional mainstream artists and the OJs to the Scott Walkers to Fats Domino. They all went for Randy Newman songs in different ways, which which speaks to some of the song craft and wide appeal he could tap into it it's 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 pretty remarkable when you go back and listen to all those different covers
1: as he said throughout his life he's a professional songwriter and he takes pride in being a professional songwriter he doesn't at all mind like taking an order and writing to order but which is by the way like why you've got a friend you know the toy story <laughs> song he's like right. he's really proud of that and like there's no subtext to that that's not like supposed to be secretly dark no he's like they asked me to write a really loving song about a child and his toy and i was like okay there you go here's what you here's what i got for you. And i are like, that's great. And take it at face value. He doesn't mind that. He can write in most any mode he chooses to. It's only when he decides to speak in his own voice. Mm-hmm. That things get a little weird. <laughs> Scott,
0: I'm sorry. Yeah, some of these songs would be revisited by Newman himself. Um, uh, have, have you seen my baby? He, he had talked about uh, Fats Domino doing it and said, you know, he was basically doing Fats Domino on the song, so then Fats does it, and it's Fats Domino doing an impression to Randy Newman doing an impression to Fats Domino. Um, I, I, I I wanted to mention here quickly, I, I'm new to m- most of Newman's work coming into this episode. I, I, I was aware he's not a novelty artist. I knew a lot of the story, but one of those artists that I had never committed myself to investigating the entire catalog. So that's one of the reasons, of course, I love the show, is it gives me a reason and an excuse to do so. And, um, you know, reading through some of the songs and, and hearing how well he's respected, I, I I have always kind of connected, even before this week, and not necessarily in terms of the songwriting itself, meaning the way that the songs are written, but uh, Randy Newman, I connect with with John Hyatt a lot because Hyatt, Ooh. in his own way, is a guy, A, with a, a voice that... Many, many people might say he's a little, little weird and a little awful, a little hard to get used to, uh, but a guy who is an absolutely amazing songwriter, if you've heard John Hyatt's stuff, and mm-hmm. um, people love him. you know, people, Musicians love him. They love covering his work. They love covering his stuff. He's extremely well regarded, as Newman is, of course, and and both those guys are still putting out really good music, even in their uh, a- advanced age. I mean, Newman is, what, seventy. Five, I think at this point 74, 75 uh, Dark Matter's most recent work is still very, very good John Hyatt's most recent work is still very, very good So I, I kind of connected them in my mind and I, I had been a John Hyatt fan for quite a long time and I've been through his, his work and so this is a great reason for me to, uh, to jump in and get into Randy Newman's stuff
1: so, I mean, I guess that brings us to the first album. And I'll let Matt take this one first. But you know, just as a, as a brief explanation, he'd been writing songs for at least six years before he decided to record something on his own. And the only real reason he was ever actually able to do it is because his best friend in high school, a guy named Lenny Waronker, uh, would actually end up getting a gig as an A&R guy from Warner Brothers Records. And, and you know, Waronker is, is actually a very well-regarded figure in the, the, the record industry as a guy who sort of helped Warner Brothers cultivate an image of being a really artist-friendly label where they let you do the strange things that you want to do and of course one of the reasons he got that reputation is his backing of randy newman whose albums didn't really have a lot of chart success not until (laughs) little criminals in 1977 and in fact this first album apparently sold so poorly that warner brothers actually offered people who bought it a refund saying you can exchange it for another warner brothers album if you like that first album is just the self-titled album randy newman 1968. Uh, it's a weird one. I happen to like it a lot. Um, I like it more now when I come back to it than I did when I first absorbed it as a teenager. But uh, uh, before I get into my thoughts on it, and, and it's sort of sort of Van Dyke's Van Dyke Parks. Uh, driven orchestral approach to things i was wondering if matt what did you think about it
2: yeah i mean it's very orchestral and we're what 15 years before imperial bedroom um (laughs) it's uh he he has said when he looks back on it i think that it's as if it's as if he wrote an album that had never heard of the rolling stones in 1968 but uh and and sometimes the the orchestration is too much um you know uh but the songs are there. The songs are very clear, and I particularly think that they the, the back end is is great. I think Cowboy is a great song, although I prefer the simpler arrangement on his live album. Um, the Beehive State is great. He, he right out of the gate he does have his own skewed, weird uh, take on the world that works very well. Um, I think he's got he's got a few songs on here that are sort of sad love songs that they are very young, <laughs> a little maudlin, but the one I think that really stands out and really sets the pace um, well is the last one, which is Davy the Fat Boy, which is a a really. Remarkable song, and it's also <laughs> twisted. It's about. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be. It starts off. It's the and By the way, this gets into these very dark narrators that he particularly earlier. He, later, he kind of adopts more first person, but earlier he really speaks through narrators. And here's this narrator singing about this friend of his, and the parents asked him to look after the friend, and it turns out, of course, it's Davy the fat boy, and he's <laughs> in a sideshow in the circus, and
4: it's oh the,
2: david the fat boy
1: isn't he round yeah. isn't he round? just <laughs> and, and it's
2: it, it's a it, what's great is everything works together you know the music there the music really supports it because early on it sounds carnivalesque before you even know what's going on um and it it you know nobody i can't think of anybody writing songs like david the fat boy at that time and i and it's it's, uh, it's, it's it's hilarious. It's dark. It's a little disturbing. It's weird. It's also musically really interesting.
3: David the Fat Boy. David the Fat Boy. Isn't he round? Isn't he round? What do we wear, folks? And you guess what it weighs? You know it's only a quarter. When a tennis gram with a girlfriend is talking for a wife, you've got to let this fat boy in your life. I think we can persuade him to do the fair.
2: And it comes after this run, like uh, Cowboy. I, I really, like I said, I like. I think the Beehive State is is hilarious. So I love the music on that, and and also, which you know, one of his biggest, probably a uh, big early Newman standard. I think it's going to rain today,
4: mm-hmm.
2: uh, with that beautiful piano, um, and also a little interesting ambivalence about the narrator and what the narrator's circumstances are. And you know, I was in. Um, it, and that's just, that, uh, this is the last thing I'll say and I'll shut up, but it's interesting about that. I was in a restaurant in San Francisco last week having dinner and there was a pianist and he was playing sort of all the classics of As Time Goes By and other stuff. And I and I recognized suddenly he was playing this song, I Think It's Going to Rain Today, which is this very soft. This is one of the songs that sets the tone for that sort of more emotional side of Randy Newman. Um and, you know, I think and I just thought to myself, because I knew we were going to do this. Here's a guy who's like coming out of the gate writing songs that sound like standards, like timeless standards that fit right in. Um, so I, I think the album, I don't think it's I don't think he's there. His voice is a little tentative. in some of the songs he's he's clearly a little bit shy. Uh, uh, some of the orchestration works, some doesn't. But everything that that characterizes his unique songwriting and kind of skewed view is there right out of the gate.
1: I think this album, you know, has problems with its production. Not even so much Randy Newman's voice, but with its production. And I choose to blame Van Dyke Parks because I don't like Van Dyke Parks, and I never have. <laughs> um, you know, I yeah, you know, even on Smile, I think some of those lyrics get a little bit weird. But uh, you know, some of the, the booming, or like you know, un- a love story, which is actually a really funny song. It's you know, <laughs> classic way to open Randy Newman's career with a twist. It's a love story. You and me, you and me, will have a kid. Well, maybe we'll rent one. He's gonna be straight but we don't want a bent one you know <laughs> you know really you know kind of like you know funny jokes of course and then it ends like when, when our kids are grown with kids of our own they're going to send us away to a, like a, a nursing home in florida and we'll just play checkers all day until we die <laughs> it's like like <laughs> your kids are just going to port you off and forget yeah, about
2: yeah, you. And, all, and, and also you, you think about who is the woman he's singing the song to
1: and I know. <laughs> what a romantic appeal you've made
3: well, Maybe we'll rent one it has got to be
4: straight
3: We don't want a bent one He'll drink his baby blue From a big brass cup Someday he may be president If things loosen up
1: But of course, then on the other side, there is I think it's going to rain today, which I think is just, you know, that that moment where I keep looking for the subtext on that song and it's not there. It's just like almost painfully vulnerable you know, broken windows and empty hallways. What's it like the, you know, the pale dead moon in the sky is streaked with gray and the human kindness of the world is overflowing. But I think it's going to rain today. You know, obviously depressed, uh, broken hearted. It's never really explained. You know, uh, you know, there's that part where it's like, you know, I'll kick a tin can down the street. That's the way to treat yeah. a friend. That, you know, hints at what's going on in the, in the narrator's heart. But uh, it doesn't seem like in any way like a put on or like, you know, a bitter joke or, you know, something where the message is supposed to be subverted. It's just kind of open and it kind of feels like it came from a really wounded part of his, you know, his his psyche. Right. Before me, implore me,
3: help the need needed, Show them the way.
0: I uh, I think Matt really nailed a lot of the uh, um, I would say issues, but but you know it's not a, it's in a classic uh, album. There's a lot of orchestration. I, I, the voice is still shaky. He's still figuring the, the things out. Um, you know, there's there's 75 people who played on this album. I actually counted 75 people, including Carol Kay, who played some some bass on, on this record. Um, and, and there's a lot of accompaniment to these songs. I think it gets in the way. Um, Laughing Boy, and uh, despite Matt's love, I think Cowboy is not helped by the way it's sort of accompanied by, by some of the instruments on the record. Uh, have
2: you, Scott, have you heard the... Uh, did you listen to the live album? Because... I did not. Go listen to the piano. It's really good
4: because
2: yeah. that, that song really needs the simplicity of him and the piano, and it's uh, it's it has room and it's so much better. Because I I do agree with you, the the orchestration steps on it. Here. Yeah,
0: yeah. And there's a few places, two other places where that happens, but there's good things, and and I think it's going to rain today is one of them. I like that no one ever hurt this bad, which to me has like this Kinks esque uh, l- like loping guitar melody to it that I like a lot. And the other one I want to highlight very quickly is uh, is Linda. I like. Uh, Linda, uh, this, this sort of play in one act, um, which Newman would do would, would very, very good at. Um, this is sort of carousel playing in the background, merry-go-round song, uh, merry-go-round mention, and it's a, it's a guy who's who stood up on the pier with a carnival nearby, essentially, and, and the girl never shows up, and it's, it's a little bit of heartbreak, of course, uh, because the girl doesn't show up, the girl being Linda, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I, I like the way that that one plays out, and I think actually that one's one of the better... Uh, songs in the album in terms of how it's how it's sort of supported by everything going on around it. And
3: care sounds plain But that miracle round is me down Cause I remember what it meant to you
0: Uh, but there are still some very shaky parts here, and, and, and certainly he's still trying to figure out, I think, how to, how to best translate his writing and his, his, his mood themes to record.
1: I think the the one place where the, the over-orchestration actually works is on Living Without You, which mm. is a song that doesn't often get talked about. It's a straight-up love song. Again, no subtext here, you know? He could have written it to be a pop hit for somebody else, but he decided to record it himself. And it's just this shimmering, again sounds like scott walker what scott walker was doing at the same time over in england in like 1968 69 uh, this shimmering orchestral and piano based accompaniment that really works you know in the context of a rather straight ahead love lyric but of course none of this you know is is a patch on what comes next and i, mean, I think maybe scott disagrees with me here but i think that what comes next is not only you know, close to Randy Newman's best album but one of the best albums released in the entire 1970s and it's a beautifully simple title it's just called 12 Songs released in 1970 and that's what it is 12 songs 11 originals and one uh highly racist cover uh, (laughs) intentionally chosen for the racism to subvert it uh uh, 12 songs is a masterpiece i don't think there's a bad thing on this record i don't think there's anything about this record that i would change uh i still don't think it's his best record though which tells you something about how highly i rate randy newman
2: I think it's his weirdest record, for one thing. I I think when you think about sort of oddballs and losers and and other people he writes about, this is a collection of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And every song takes you through them. I mean, let's burn down the cornfield where you've got this kind of ominous... Sinister tone uh, and, and, and an arsonist enticing You know I guess his girlfriend or a woman To help him burn down the cornfield and we will make a love uh, Mama told me not to come Which we've talked about which we've been hanging out there For a while but of course is You know about somebody finding themselves At a party and getting increasingly uncomfortable At the weirdness of it I, I think Jeff you were talking about Suzanne Which Which is about a stalker he, you you could talk about it uh, more, but I just want to make one point on Suzanne, which is, I love that he wrote it in response to Leonard Cohen's...
4: Suzanne,
0: right?
2: Like, <laughs> which is like a classic, like, arty, overdone, magical pixie-in-the-village kind of romantic song, and Randy Newman writes a song about... A I saw song. your name on the bathroom wall or right? it was a telephone <laughs> booth, right? And then I started following you in the shadows... <laughs> It's just it's it's the the, the motivation is hilarious and that it just tells you something about how his darkness is there and sometimes undercuts these artsy clichés that others lean on. I'm going
3: to jump from shadow, and try and your mind. And you run my finger to your hair Love everywhere. I don't need to get too many That's just not in my way When I get my arms around I'm gonna rock you all night gonna rock you all day It seems then
2: Be it, it's worth saying, it's a, it, unlike the orchestration, this is a very rock-oriented one. Ry Cooder is very prominent in this with his slag guitar, and there's a, he's still trying out lots of different styles of songs.
3: We have whiskey with your water, your sugar with your tea. What are these crazy questions that they're asking of me? This is the wildest party that they ever could be. Well, don't turn on me like because I don't want to see. Mama told me not to come. Mama told me not to come. Mama said it ain't no way to have fun.
1: Open up the window.
2: And you can feel that all over it. So he's growing into it. He's growing his voice. Um, so, I like those ones I mentioned. I'm a big fan of My Old Kentucky Home, mm. which has also been out there, which I uh, think almost sounds like a slight band or John Prine yes, kind of purity a little bit. Yep. I like Uncle Bob's Midnight Blues a lot. Uh, I, and I, I'll mention one more, and then, I'll, and then you, you, oh, well, two more, because I think Lover's Prayer is great and has that funny line, you know, those funny lines about, Somebody who doesn't really want the special girl, don't send me nobody with glasses, don't want oh,
1: nobody no with Oh no no like you know, she started to talk <laughs> to me about the war. Lord, I said I don't want to talk about the war. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and of course, probably the greatest
2: uh, ode anyone has ever written to a girl sucked up by a beach cleaning machine. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's sorry, Lucinda. I'm sorry for laughing.
3: Lucinda. Sin, sin, got
2: Jeff, I know you love this album. You probably love this album more than, than than either of us do. But what is great about the album is the variety of different song styles and the bizarreness of it. You can keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's worth noting that just like the first album, this is like what thirty minutes, thirty two minutes. Yep. Oh, it's, 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 it's just, it just
1: gets in and gets out. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is the old weird America—the time where it first comes in. I mean, you've got, you've got, you know, Randy Newman's obsession with the South—not the South, South, but the Deep South, the messed-up South. You know, let's burn down the cornfield and make love as it burns, or like you know that stalker—you know, probably in you know like Birmingham or something like that. You know, you know, <laughs> underneath. Oh, and geez, you know, this is I guess the point where we have to have a discussion about ironic racism. Mm-hmm. All right, because this is something that Newman is really going to, to lean on, I think, brilliantly and heavily. But of course, in these days, you know, imagine if you know a modern artist recorded underneath the Harlem Moon, <laughs> which which Newman did as a deliberate, um, you know, commentary on like the racist language of the song, where it's like, you know, what is like all, all the happy darkies, basically. You know, like saw,
2: something else about that song. I was thinking when I was listening to it again too, which is which in some ways, it's the prettiest song on the album. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and, you know, one thing that I think he's aware of because he's such a talented musician is the manipulative, the manipulability of beautiful music to completely, like, in, in, yeah, in, in your you to like a horrible right. lyric, right? And, and because it's a beautiful song, and you're listening and, and you can you get pulled along, and then you're wait a minute, what are they? It's it's
1: it's it's, and then you, and you hear him so singing, then you hear him singing the lines, they just live for dancing, yeah. they're never blue or forlorn, ain't no sin to laugh or grin, that's why darkies were born. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> it's just like That the way what's going what's going on here and of course you immediately get that he's in on it because he follows it right up with the song Yellow Man which is on the live album he actually explains it like this is a pinhead's view of what China is like you know this doesn't understand you know any foreign cultures or anything like them and so he's exploring these sorts of character sketches of people who you know you know are are racist and don't even understand don't even understand their cultural and racial attitudes but man it's fraught territory it's only going to get even more fraught as we move along but you know beside that the rest of this album I just there's Suzanne as as Matt said is just the best part of Suzanne to me is the way that this really dissonant creepy organ just starts like insinuating its way into the song halfway through and it's hitting all the wrong notes. It's hitting these discordant notes. And so then you realize, well this isn't a love song. This is this is something a lot weirder and a lot darker. And it, like it gets really spooky. And then you know there are the lines, you know, what's it like, you know, and then I'll jump from the shadows. Try to catch your eye. I'm gonna run my fingers through your hair and love you everywhere. Oh my God, what am I listening to? That's the, that's the Randy Newman at his best on this album is where he gets you... Ensconced in a song and a mood and a vibe. And then suddenly, halfway through, you have that, that, that realization, that moment of horror where you realize this is not what I thought this song was out about at all. <laughs> well, and it's, uh, it's
2: almost like
4: he, he, he,
2: there is a lot that makes you think, what is popular music? What are you singing? Am I implicated? You know, he's, he, he, he's really thinking about those things a lot on this
1: record. Yeah. I mean, even My Old Kentucky Home, like that's obviously he's, you know, after all these songs about weird Southern, you know, like vibes that you hear on this album, Let's Burn Down the Cornfield, you know, know, Have You seen My Baby. Uh, But Old Kentucky Home, that's a straight rip off of Stephen Foster. The song is not the same as Stephen Foster's My Old Kentucky Home, but obviously he's intending you to make that association. Anyways, I just think this is a fantastic album. This is where you got to start with Randy Newman. And, you know, if you're in the mood for something that's really going to subvert every expectation that you had coming in, these songs are endlessly rewarding. Scott? The,
0: one of the best things uh, from the first album to this album, I think, is the change. Um, it, it, if everything on the first album, or many things on the first album, were kind of overproduced and 75 musicians, there is so much subtlety on this record. Uh, of little things you kind of have to pay attention to to realize what he's doing. Uh, he's not afraid to let the songs speak for themselves. He's not afraid to put the vocals on. A little further up front. He's not afraid to kind of whisper or underplay the delivery of some of the lyrics on 12 songs. That's one great thing. Ry Cooter is another great thing. I love his guitar playing on virtually anything. And he's great here on 12 songs. Uh, Let's burn down the cornfield he makes that song. It is just so slow and, um, and just kind of underselling the, the greatness of actually how, how, how wonderful that song is. It's not in your face like the like the strings and stuff from, uh, from the first album. It just lets itself sort of play out. Boy,
3: it's so good On a cold night The hell fire Burning warm And bright You hide Behind me You hide Behind me You Stay out of danger Till I return
0: and then I think it's it's companion on the second side is Rosemary Uh, very similar mood very similar vibe very confident uh, in its in its songwriting very confident in, in the way it's been it's been put together um, and there's some wonderful horns on Rosemary too. It just sort of lifted up in in the second half of the song. Um, I too, really like Lucinda, which Matt mentioned—the song about a girl who's sucked up by a beach uh, combing machine. Uh, it's a slow. Hey, listen, these things girl. happen, and man. I'm just... I, I, you know someone's got to chronicle those things, I guess, is, is how it turns out. Um, and have you seen my baby? Which you've already mentioned once. I mean, Randy Newman's version is really great, New Orleans style kind of rocker, That's Domino influence, certainly. And again, those 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 wonderful kind of subtle horns here and there and have you seen my baby i love the way it plays out uh, um you know Je- i i don't like this i think as much as jeff does but here's here's a point and and, and really this goes all the way up into to the present day there's not a bad randy newman album that maybe you know, one is, is a little tougher or two to, or tougher to get into if you try to pick that one up first but almost all of them have their winning moments and really spectacular moments and so we're almost grading on a curve here uh, because mm. Everything is is so good. I mean, literally everything up into the present day is great. And so 12 Songs, I'm saying, is, is, is not my favorite. And it, I don't think it's as good as what would come in, in the next couple of albums. It's still very, very good. I just think he puts things together even, even further and, and becomes eh, Randy Newman on Sail Away, at the next album.
1: Well, so even if we're grading on a curve, I think all of us agree <laughs> that what comes next, yes, Sail Away, 1972, <laughs> 73, um, is an A-plus a+ album. Um, I already spoke at the beginning of this show about the title track, Sail Away, which, you um, know, I've, since I've said my, at least partially my piece on it, I'd like to let other people talk about it. Uh, but I just think it's one of the most dark, brilliant, painfully beautiful and in, in brilliantly subversive songs ever written about like the, the true American experience, the American founding experience, sort of the lies, even though this never happened. You know, the, the, slavery was not a, a job of like, you know, the, <laughs> the guy on the beach convincing, you know, Africans to sort of like voluntarily serve themselves up into bondage. Obviously not. But it, it sort of subverts the sort of, you know, the, 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 the trite, happy mm. mythology of America, of the land of the free and the home of the brave, uh, by putting this almost patriotic sounding music to to these lyrics in
3: America you get food deep. won't have to run through the jungle and scuff up your feet you just sing about Jesus and drink wine all day it's great to be an American Ain't no lion or tiger, ain't no mama snake Just a sweet watermelon in a buckwheat cake Everybody is as happy as a man can be Climb a boy, little walk, sail away with me Sail away
1: But it's not just, it's not just Sail Away. Every other song on this album is a masterpiece. I mean, the close, you know, Simon Smith and the Amazing Dancing Bear. It's kind of a fun song. I don't know if it's a masterpiece. It was a hit single in Britain in the 1960s, of all things. But, uh, this is the album that has the song about the Cuyahoga River catching on fire. This is the album that has, you know, Randy Newman saying, you know, all these other countries don't love us, so let's drop the big one now. This is the <laughs> album where Randy Newman tells his lady, uh, said, you know, I take your dress off, take your shoes off, but you can leave your hat on. This <laughs> is an album that is full of epic moments. I love Sail Away, and I know that you guys do, too.
0: Yeah, it's um, uh, um, you know, right from Sail Away, which which Jeff had talked to a lot about earlier. Lonely at the top. The second song is—is is it? I don't want to say it's a breakthrough, but man, does it sound great! Apparently written originally for Sinatra, uh, and Sinatra passed, and so it's yeah, he, he
2: played it for Sinatra, and, and I now think of Sinatra always as Phil Hartman Sinatra. Yeah, <laughs> so I just love to think of Sinatra hearing this song and going, "What is this crap?" And
0: <laughs> but you know, something listening to Lonely at the Top. It could fit on any of his most recent albums um, In terms of tone, in terms of He, he kind of leans into that New Orleans sound On some of the more recent stuff And Lon- Lon- Lonely at the Top does too But it still sounds fresh I mean, It still sounds like a, 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 a Randy Newman song Even these years and years later It's fantastic I've
3: been around the world Had my pick of vinegar You'd think I'd be happy But I'm not Everybody knows my name But it's just a crazy game Oh, it's lonely at the top
0: Political science, which which Jeff mentioned, is, you know, is this great satire of, of, of foreign policy. Let's drop the big one and there'll be no one left to blame us, except we're going to save Australia because we don't want the kangaroos to suffer. Um... <laughs> but i mean we give them money but are they grateful no they're spiteful and they're hateful i mean these are things we we hear today even too and political science is, is, a, is a great melody to go along with it too
1: but what i love is that they, you know they don't respect us so let's surprise them yeah. <laughs> we'll drop the big one and pull. <laughs> it's, just, it's like so over-the-top jingoistic that you have gotta laugh it's the, <laughs> boom goes london Boom, boom Paris. Goes Paris, Yes.
2: It's uh, probably his funniest song. It's probably his funniest
0: song. Yeah, uh, Burn On, and it might be because I'm a huge fan of Major League, the the film which Burn On is it, it opens. Uh, but man, I've always adored Burn On. As Jeff mentioned, the story of the uh, the Cuyahoga River in Cleveland catching on fire, which uh, is not as rare as uh, as as you might think it was back in the day, and it did catch fire uh, what in '68, which is around when the, you know the the memory of what Newman sparked to write this song. Uh, I love that last stanza that the Lord can make tumble the Lord can make you turn the Lord can make you <laughs> overflow but the Lord can't make you burn <laughs> and that sort of double meaning of Cleveland City of lights with the with the river on fire and the way that that song grows from the simple you know barely there beginning to include that orchestration and, and that it slows at the end once again to, to deliver those final lines burn on is, is I think my favorite song on on sail away
3: now Lord can make you tumble. The Lord can make you turn, the Lord can make you overflow, the Lord can make you burn. Burn on, big river, burn on. Burn on, big river, burn on
0: you can leave your hat on already mentioned god song the last one is one that i picked up on really the second or third time i was going through the album um and i I know jeff wants to i don't want to steal his thunder jeff wants to mention kind of randy newman's um, relationship or lack thereof or understanding of of a deity or a god but you know in this one um you know god is doing these cruel awful things taking your children away from you and And laughing from from up in heaven as you pray and but still you believe and how blessed are we it's uh it's this very twisted sort of delivery on the relationship between uh between god and and his people and and that's that's the way the song that's the way the album closes um there's so much in between the 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 slavery song sail away and the the song about uh a song about god to close things off it's really fantastic
2: Yeah, you guys said you guys said a lot pretty well. So I, I'll just add a couple things. And, and Scott, you touched on it, but I, I think this is the album that where everything he was doing in the first two and everything that worked really comes together. There, there's orchestration, but there's also rock. It, it blends together very well. And the, the, the tonal variety and the material variety among the songs is so broad, so rich. There's cynicism. There's beauty. There's sweetness. There's a certain level of brutality there's a weirdness like in last night I had a dream
4: mm-hmm.
2: and you touched, you touched on them. You know, a, a great example for me of, of the musicality comes in sail away, which is again, a, a simple song, but profound. It's those strings that come in during the verses that are beautiful, but are kind of sound like they're hinting that something's a little off here. There's something not right. And then, they give way to this kind of beautiful copeland esque <laughs> chorus. <laughs> the way the way he uses the music supporting the songs is 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 brilliant. Uh, you hit on a lot of them. I just want to mention. I think one of the things that comes starts to come out here is he, he, he's a he's really interested in families and mm-hmm. how families relate. And he had the one earlier song, but "Old Man" is a kind of a brutal song uh, with his bitter son. At his father's deathbed, and then and then the other side, you've got "Memo to My Son," which is sort of a a sweet song but about a slightly clueless cool dad, you know, in, interacting with his, his his baby. I think what uh, the thing, I, and I said it at the beginning, I think the thing that that stands out on every single song wherever they're at here is he's really pushing the lyric writing, to be honest, to to, yes. real, to to not leave anything behind, but to say, it. so when I hear political science, part of the way I think about that song is it's a, it's a funny song and it's a parody, but it's kind of expressing a thought that every American just about deep down inside, even maybe only 1% <laughs> of you has had at some time or another, which is just oh, screw it. I'm tired of this. And time and again, he really goes there on these songs.
3: Boom goes London, boom, Paris. More room for you and more room for me. In every city, the whole world round, will just be another American town. Oh, how peaceful it will be. we set everybody free. Japanese Komoda, baby, the Italian shoes to me. They all hate us anyhow. So let's drop the big one now. Let's
4: drop the big
2: one now. And you said it, Scott, you know, and this isn't always true even of some of the later stuff. This record is 45 years old and there it sounds like it could be out today. There is yes. nothing here... In terms of the topics, in terms of the insights, in terms of the performances, there is absolutely nothing here that sounds dated at all, which is not something I can say about lots and lots of music from 1972 that I love. It's really, it's there's a timelessness here that is really remarkable.
1: I I know I said this to you guys earlier, like when when we were doing our pregame stuff on email. uh, But I've sung a memo to my son, to my little newborn kid, Julian, about you know a hundred (laughs) times between the day he was born and right now this present day. It's so honest and it's exactly how a dad feels. You know, there's that great line. It's like I know you don't think much of me, but someday you'll understand. Wait till you learn how to talk, baby, and then I'll show you how smart I am. That's exactly how I feel because like he's not impressed with me in any way nine and a half months old I know you don't think
3: much of it someday you'll understand will you learn how to talk baby I'll show you how smart I am I'll show you how smart I am don't know how to walk baby maybe you can't talk none either maybe you never will baby i'll always love you i'll always love you
1: you know it's just so cute it's so honest and it's so Fearless is what it is. All yeah. of these songs are fearless. As you said, Matt, it was a great, great observation that he is m- completely unafraid to go there and to like say those things that people think they really actually do have thought, they're ashamed of thinking, but you know, deep down that we can all understand like uh, people have those impulses and he goes there and he expresses them and he does it as an outsider. And by God, that is no better way to transition from <laughs> Sail Away to the next album, which, you know, Sail Away, A-plus album. Well, what if Randy Newman actually put out an A-plus-plus album? And I think we all agree that might be what we have in Good Old Boys. This is his follow-up, 1974. Um, a conceptual album uh, for the first time in his career, very explicitly about the South and about Southerners and, and also about how Southerners feel feel they're viewed by you know outsiders and how they view themselves and the weird hijinks they get up to it begins with a song that i almost despair of trying to discuss (laughs) in 2019 which is also one of the best songs that he's ever written it's called rednecks and it begins with maybe my single favorite lyric of all time randy newman lyric of all time
3: last night i saw lester maddox on tv show with some smartass New York Jew And the Jew laughed at Lester Maddox
4: And the audience
3: laughed at Lester Maddox too Well he may be a fool but he's our fool And if they think they're better than him they're wrong So I went to the park and I took some paper along, And that's where I made this song
1: and what is the song he writes? Well, hey, you know, when do you guys want to help me out with this? <laughs> well, uh, it, it basically...
2: <laughs> yeah, I threw a grenade into your lap, Matt. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. Uh, uh, no, uh, look, he—it's—it's he, a—it's a—it's—it's it's like a Southerner complaining about and parodying how he thinks the Northerners view the Southerners. And taking pride in some of those things in response to that at the same time, and he does use the N word liberally. Uh, uh, the phrase
1: is literally in every chorus. They're keeping the N words down. Yeah, yeah.
2: What's wow? What I think, what, what I think is all, what's amazing about that song, uh, along with that though, is the way it unfolds and turns around at the end. Right? Mm-hmm. First, it's, you know, the anger at, the, I think it was the Dick Cavett show and this interview. And, and Dick Cavett show was, you know, seen as sort of like an ultra liberal talk show in the 70s at that time. Turns it back on themselves in the South and then goes after all the Northern neighborhoods that in those days were known for, you know, race riots and their own segregationist challenges mm-hmm. it turns it back on the North. By the end of that song, nobody is uh, left standing. Everybody, everybody implicated in, and on the floor.
1: Remember what you said at the beginning of the show about how his satire was so sharp that it left every single person implicated. Like, that was what I think the brilliance of Rednecks truly is, is that yep. everybody is offended by the end of it and everybody sort of realizes deep down that, ah, uh, god he's got a point <laughs> it's just like nobody gets away nobody gets away with their with their uh the haughtiness intact
0: and the way in the second half that it fall it uh, doesn't fall apart but the the, the 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 uh the vocals come off track i mean they're off beat because he's so passionate and um and um it just wants to stick it to the northerners so badly that 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 rant kind of just totally falls off melody off beat
1: Yeah, in the in the south side of Chicago and the west side, he's got to point out. But he's got the geography right, by the way. It is the south and the west side.
4: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but it's, this is oh, the- oh, By the by the way, uh, one other thing that we didn't mention but is worth mentioning this one too, is it's a brilliantly arranged musically. Yeah. And oh my god. Yes. These offensive things, and then he steps back and there's almost like this kind of like Scott
1: Joplin Rag. It's mm-hmm. this little <laughs> Scott Joplin Rag type thing, you do 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 <laughs> and then he goes back to like he, these horrible racial slurs and <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
3: is a Negro. See, he's got his dignity. Down here, we too, to realize it. the North is south for the free. Yes, he's free to be put in a cage in Harlem, New York City. He's free to be putting in a cage on the South Side of Chicago, on the West Side. He's free to be put in a cage in Harlem. Cage in East St. Louis. And it's free to be put in a cage in Fillmore, and San Francisco. And it's free to be put in a cage in Roxbury, and Boston. They're gathering them up for miles around, keeping them, laying down. We're rednecks. We're redneck We are redneck we do not know our ass from a hole in the ground.
1: The funny thing about it is, like, this is the first song he wrote for the album, apparently. So he wrote this song. He thought, oh, this is brilliant. And then he started getting really invested in, like, this character or the idea of this kind of a person. And he he said in interviews that, like, you know, where does the rest of good old boys come from? It comes from the fact that he felt like he had to write the rest of this album, you know, to, you know, to give that guy a fair shake. It's like, why does this guy say the things he thinks and thinks the things that he thinks? Um you know because here's the rest of the story and so you know on the flip side of this out this this opens side one and then of course on side two you get a song like louisiana 1927 which i i'm not going to talk about now but i think is the inverse of rednecks and i think is just just maybe a, a truly glorious song but before i get into you know that i want to know if you guys scott you what are your thoughts on this record
0: <laughs> This is a this is really a monumental achievement of a, of a record yes. on, on on many many levels, uh, for, from the from pulling that concept through from start to finish, uh, from writing about uh, you know the, the South and the way he does, uh, to taking the, you know the farcical notes uh, and, and turning them around with genius you know one liners the uh, the unreliable narrator which is such a feature of Newman's writing who to believe and when to believe them and what's the song really about is it about what he's saying or what we think he should be. Sa- all of these questions are all around this album. Um, there are so many highlights. And I Jeff wants to talk a lot about Louisiana 1927, which I'll allow him to. But that Louisiana suite of three songs is such a cornerstone of this record. Mm-hmm. Louisiana 1927 which uh, talks about the, the flood of 27, uh, perhaps in a metaphorical way. I'll, I'll let Jeff explain, but that's, that's a fantastic. It goes into an actual song written by Huey Long called Every Man a King, uh, only about 60 seconds or so. And then I, I, well, a song I love, Kingfish. It's just a fantastic song. <laughs> Kingfish, um, you know, it, it was uh, Hue, Huey Long's you know, nickname, the Kingfish. And um, it, essentially, it's like a campaign rally as song. Uh, all these things that that he did, and who took the Standard Oil men and whooped their ass just like he promised. By the way, to.
1: absolutely historically accurate. Yeah. he he gets long right. You know, especially like you know the the, the dislike of Northern Louisianans for the Southerners and the Frenchmen, <laughs> like the, all that all that stuff is straight on point in it's terms so, of and, and,
2: and the general like the political way, uh, populist politicians, the bragging, the yeah. self regard, the uh, winding people up, the achievements. It's very hard to get politics right in songs, especially without sounding kind of preachy wherever you mm-hmm. stand. He really he really nails that.
0: And, and almost like rednecks, this the song gets bigger and bigger as as he brags. Right, it, it, it all becomes like this braggadocious sort of thing. The music matches uh, the lyrics. The further and further in you go.
3: Put your bones down. Hey
0: I love that uh, that that little suite of songs Birmingham which is the second song on the record is an intro to this this character's family and home life nothing really happens here right it's just description it's working class Alabama um and and, and everything that goes with it you know when you mention Birmingham in this in the in the reference or in the context of good old boys, you have to think about other things that are that have happened in Birmingham, the like Bull Connor and uh, the Baptist Street Church bombing. All those right. things get wrapped up into what he's trying to do on this record, Mister President. Have pity on the working well, can man. I, can
2: I, I, yep. can, can go I go say one thing with that? Which I do. I I love in Birmingham that little thing got a, blue, a big black dog and his name is Dan. He yeah. lives in my backyard in Birmingham. He's the meanest dog in Alabama. Get him, Dan. Get him, Dan. <laughs> yep. well, I've never heard Listen. a song plating the mean guy with the angry dog in his backyard. Yeah. I'm literally
1: sicking him. <laughs> 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 oh, but it's but it's so perfect, and it, it is also genial. Like, I think it's Birmingham doesn't actually come across as like you know some sort of snarky parody. It sounds like no. Th- there are a lot of people live in Birmingham who like that song.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, yep.
1: Sorry, like,
0: this guy. You go off time. Yeah. Sorry. Um, and then uh, one more. Back on my feet again. Toward the toward the back of the album. Uh, Riker's on here, so I automatically like it. But it's uh, it, in my, it's this, a conversation between a like a mental patient and a psychiatrist, right? Um, uh, back on my feet again, and 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 this, this sort of farcical, not farcical, but fanciful things, almost almost like a dream like quality. Some of the stories he's telling, but the end is is like heartbreaking, right, Doctor Doctor. What do you say? How about letting me out today? Ain't no reason for me to stay everybody so far away. And all of a sudden you go from, like, this guy's nuts to, oh, I, I kind of feel sorry for this guy. He, he can't get out. He can't see people. He can't be around society. And it's it's those twists. I mean, Newman's the master of this, you know, the final line, the final verse, sort of twisting everything out of its head uh, from the from the p- previous verses and choruses. And I think Back on My Feet Again is, a, is another perfect example of that. Dr.
3: Doc, what you say?
1: Well, I mean, if you're talking about that, then I think Wedding in Cherokee County is also a great <laughs> example of that. I, yeah. Wedding in Cherokee County, one of the, like, the great dark horse highlights of Randy Newman's career. I mean, first of all, I looked it up just because like, I was like, where's Cherokee County located? Turns out there are like, a ton of Cherokee counties throughout the South. There's one in North Carolina. There's one in Georgia. There's one in Texas. It could be anywhere. And there's actually one in Iowa too, but I'm assuming that you know he probably wasn't thinking of Iowa when he wrote this song. But like, this is about a guy who's in love with a crazy woman, he is like a horrible, you know, like a weird, you know. It was her. Papa was a midget. Her mama was a whore. Her granddad was a newsboy. To he was eighty-four, um, you know. Like, but then it ends with one of the funniest lines that newman ever wrote and just also sort of sad where he says like you know i'm gonna marry this woman i'll carry her across the threshold i'll make dim the light she's crazy by the way i will attempt to spend my love within her but though i try with all my might she will laugh at my mighty sword Why must everybody laugh at my mighty sword? Which is, I think, you know, this is a very limited subgenre of music, the greatest um, uh, lyrical expression of male insecurity about their (laughs) sexual prowess that has ever been put to uh music in in the history of the rock era uh, just such a funny dark weird weird song about a damaged relationship between two damaged people but for some reason you end up thinking like you know they're probably going to be together for 30 years anyway
3: I love a little do i try with all my might You laugh at my mighty sword You laugh at my mighty sword Why must everybody laugh at my mighty sword? Lord, help me if you will Maybe we're both crazy, I don't know Maybe that's why I love a
2: so. I'm going, to get in, I'm going to throw in one before you get to talk a bit about uh, Louisiana 1987, Jeff, which is yeah. you guys did not talk about, but I will pitch in. That I think deserves just a minute is Marie. And mm-hmm. This is, to step back, this is his most empathetic album throughout. And so you come out of the gate with Rednecks, this kind of shocking song that offends everybody. Then you get into Birmingham, this kind of prideful song that also has this little edge and the dog. And then you get into Marie. And here is our the Johnny Cutler, the the PewDiePie, the and he can only say these things when he's drunk. And he is sitting on the I guess sitting, you know, sitting at home, he's singing to his wife, and he is basically it, it's it's an incredible portrayal of like the emotionally constipated, self-loathing man who who, who's, and, and he's, he's drunk and he's very honest. you you know, he says, you're a flower, you're a river, you're a rainbow. Sometimes I'm crazy, but I guess, you know, I'm weak and I'm lazy and I hurt you. So I don't listen to a word you say. And when you're in trouble, I turn away, but I loved you. I loved you the first time I saw you and I always will love you, Marie. It's, it's a very early peak of that emotional taproot. And it really, mm-hmm in the sequencing of the album it really hits you coming after those early two songs when you think it's the same guy
3: sometimes i'm crazy but i guess you know and a week and i'm
4: lazy,
3: and i hurt you so i don't listen to what you say, when you're in trouble, I turn away. But I love you, I loved you the first time I saw you, and I
4: always love you.
2: It's, it's a very, it's actually a very moving song, um, that 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 again kind of potently reframes what you just heard, and uh, it's one that you know as I go back when I went back and listened to it. Also, I mean, amid everything else on the album, really resonates with me uh, a lot. And if you've heard, if you've heard um, on the extended version of the album that they put out at some point in the digital age which has a lot of the songs when he was thinking about making his musical, it gets even more when you see he was writing a song from Marie's point of view called Shining that uh, he obviously never took to, to completion, but that is her singing about how she feels trapped in her life. It's, it's, it, it, there is really This is really where he is touching on like the, the power of literature almost uh, in these songs in, in a way that's very, very unique, to,
4: I think.
1: I mean, I, I, th- I think that's absolutely right. I think Marie is such a roundhouse precisely because, as you said, you're expecting this to be, you know, oh, you know, a northerner or a westerner or whatever. And he's a Californian snarking on these pudknuckers from the south. You know, the first song, obviously, well, unless you you read it deeper and then you understand the complexity of it. But, sir, sure, you know, what's the chorus? We're rednecks. We don't know our ass from a hole in the ground. Um, then you get to Birmingham, which sounds like it could be a snarky take. And then you hit Marie and there's absolutely no subterfuge going on on that lyric at all it's just so naked and so painful and so honest and uh you know that i can brings me to my favorite song on this album my favorite song that randy newman ever wrote uh one of the finest songs maybe that will ever be written which is louisiana 1927 i already mentioned how much i love this but this is a song that is nominally about the historical flood in louisiana sort of central northern louisiana um you know it's 1927 there's a big flood you know like hundreds of people died washed away it's louisiana you know you can understand how these sorts of things happen so what newman does and he actually explained this in an interview once I, i found this to be such a compelling statement he's like this is almost the song that i wrote as a response to rednecks where you know this is a song that is about the historical flood so well written, so well observed. What has happened down here is the wind have changed. You know, clouds roll in from the north and it starts to rain. Rained real hard for a long time, six feet of water on the streets of Evangeline. But um, but he said, like, in a way, it was actually also a metaphor for how these folks, these poor, you know, white Southerners felt about how the rest of the nation viewed them as if they just wished that they would go away. They'd be washed away. Louisiana, they're trying to wash us away. They're trying to wash us away. You're a national embarrassment. You guys are, you know, the the ugly, you know, you know stepbrothers and, that we hide in the attic that we don't like to talk about. And, you know, everything that, you know, w- when these tragedies happen to you, it's a shame. Shame, but we don't really have any real depth of human feeling or you know outreach to you, and that's the, the second verse just captures that so well. President Coolidge, Coolidge, northern or governor of Massachusetts, comes down in a railroad train with a fat little man and a notepad in his hand, and he says, "Well, little fat man, isn't it a shame what the river has done to this poor cracker's land?" Just sort of this distanced, you know, almost jaundiced, like, "Yeah, well, you know, isn't this a shame?" Meanwhile, these are human lives that have been been extinguished careers lives that have been lost human tragedy on a scale that you know they're never going to have to worry about or comprehend and it's all set to music that you know the irony of the music for louisiana is that it's Basically a rewrite of Sail Away, which, you know, if you listen to the two songs back to back, it's just abundantly obvious. But Louisiana is not only, you know, every bit as much of a masterpiece as Sail Away is. I think it's the better song when it hits that chorus and he's singing how they're trying to wash us away. um, It. I'm a guy who grew up in suburban Maryland. What the heck do I know about what it's like <laughs> to suffer through floods in Louisiana or in New Orleans or anything like that? But this thing just absolutely makes me melt. And I can listen to it on repeat forever. It is Randy Newman's greatest song.
3: What has happened down here? Is the wind have changed? Clouds roll in from the north and it start to rain. Rained real hard and rained for a real long time. Six feet of water in the streets of Evangeline. River rose all day, the river rose on night. Some people got lost in the flood, some people got away all right. River have busted. Sit down to pluck Six feet of water in the streets of Angeline. Louisiana. Louisiana. That child will wash us away. That child wash us away. Louisiana. Louisiana.
2: It, that chorus really captures something that his writing can really do at its best. It, it just—it's a perfect—it's a perfect example of hitting the precisely perfect, simple phrase that has so much in a few words. And it, particularly on, on, on these early albums, he is so good at not overwriting at finding little things that get the, the story he wants to tell and the complexity and nuance and human emotion. And when, the thing about President Coolidge coming down, just even the use of the word cracker, hmm. it, it actually hits you like a firecracker right at the end in the middle of this beautiful song uh, of sort of the casual disregard that the word suggests. And it bounces off some of the other slurs on the album. It tells you how these people feel about about where they are. And and these you know, the thing about these I simple like any kind of writing, the simplest songs are the hardest ones to write. And there's so much in this one.
0: That leads us to Little Criminals, the very next album. If if people know a Randy Newman song, it's probably Short People. If you only know one, the big hit from Little Criminals which was in 1977 is Short People. And um Guys, look, I, you know, I've heard the song a number of times and listen again. It is still incredible to me that anyone took this song at face value in 1977 and thought that Randy newman clearly was had some sort of prejudice against short people yet it happened there were protests oh, listen as a tall person i
1: endorse this song's <laughs> message <laughs> i'm sorry I mean, you know it's I, 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 no i'm just kidding sorry scott continue it's so silly right i mean it's so
0: silly uh and cruel i mean the thing about it is, the verses have these—you know—they got short, short fingers and short toes, and short people got no reason. And the chorus is—is um, is actually saying, you know, you know, they're just like you and me. And so the question is, you know, I think when you when you hear it, is it is it the is it an apology in a way? Is it the narrator sort of backing out? I think it's not, right? I think it's what the narrator says in public, right? When people uh, when people want to hear, oh, of course I love those short people; they're they're just fine. And then the verses are what he really thinks. And so it's it's a layer upon a layer. I suppose which is why maybe people were
1: misinterpreting it all over uh, I've but- never been a big fan of this song I think like most of us but I have to say that some of the lyrics make me laugh just because of the <laughs> vitriol where it's like they got little noses and tiny little teeth it was, they wear platform shoes on their nasty little feet like oh my gosh who, how could you hate a short person that much and then by the way like, you know, like, like somebody has to plead for the right of short people to exist yeah. Oh,
0: guys. Jeff Jeff just muted himself.
1: Mm-hmm. i muted myself by accident i'm sorry all i was saying is that <laughs> do we need to be told that short people were just the same as you and i i, I don't think we did i think that that's just you know randy newman by, writing by the eagles really right <laughs> oh yeah by the way this is the album for those who don't know that has you know don henley and glenn fry all over it i mean literally they're on half the songs and i think jd Suther is singing too and i think timothy b schmidt is in there too this is this is the eagles and randy newman collaborating be forewarned.
0: Yeah. Uh, they're all over the place on a bunch of songs. And I get it, you know, there are some, there, there are some highlights here. This is not, this is a step down, clearly, from the past two records. Um, but I, I think, you know, Little Criminals, the title track, I like quite a bit. It's got an edge to it. Joe Walsh and Fire playing guitar on it. But the story, I like quite a bit. I mean, the small-time crooks and, one saying to the other, "Get out of here! We don't need you. We're, we've almost made it the, to the top, and of course, the, the twist is not at all. I mean, they're, they're still little criminals. They're small-time crooks. They're not. They're not making it to the top. They're not going to get their big heist done." Gotta go. Um, Texas Girl at the Funeral of Her Father is just a simple, sad, and beautiful song. Um, I don't mind the Eagles backing vocals on Rider in the Rain, which uh, envisions Randy Newman as a cowboy, as strange as that might sound. Um, I-, I like when he throws it to them at the end. Take take it, boys, and the Eagles kind of harmonize out the the last 30, 40 seconds of that track. Um, Baltimore, sure. man, oh man. Well, I think one of the first times I heard Baltimore, I think I heard it once before, uh, but when I got here to uh, to Hillsdale and and the radio station was just up and running, they were playing this 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 patriotic loop of songs, uh, <laughs> which got very uh, tiring very quickly because there weren't that many to choose from. But that's how they programmed it. So before I sort of revamped everything, my first order of business was to add some songs to the rotation. We went from like a hundred to five hundred or something. It was a big change, but. I said, well, what can we do? Like American, uh, all right, you know, place songs. And boy, nobody writes a place song like Randy Newman. Baltimore is right there.
1: <laughs> well, the thing is, is that like is this the, this this certainly inspired Baltimore civic pride. Yeah, right. right. Beat up a little seagull on a marble step. Listen, I'm I'm I think the only Baltimorean on this show. I spent five years living there. I went to college at Johns Hopkins. And uh, here's the funny thing: I did that in the late '90s, early 2000s. And the scary thing is that this song was written in 1977 (laughs) and it was still as relevant in that era as it was when it was written Mm -hmm. which is both impressive and depressing you know Baltimore the city is dying and it doesn't know why and uh, uh, this is by far by the way by far the best song on Little Criminals and I actually don't have that much time for the rest of this no, album I don't I don't even like the uh, the uh, already in Germany before the war one which is the song about you know the child killer from m um, but no Baltimore is the one song on this record that just hits home maybe maybe perhaps because I did live there and I know the city really well but also just because it, it has all the timeless verities of a great Randy Newman song those that that, yeah. that ominous opening of the chords and how it builds and then it builds and then it finally hits that Baltimore man it's hard chorus uh, the, by far the, the best song on the record
3: beat up little seagull mm-hmm. on a marble step mm-hmm. trying to find an ocean mm-hmm. looking the alleyway. Hard times in a city In a hard town by like the sea Ain't nowhere to run to Ain't nothing here for free Hooker on the corner Waiting for a train Junk line on i yeah.
0: And the way Newman rings um, emotion and message out of the simplest lines, like, man, it's hard just to live. It's a pretty simple line. The way he delivers, the way it's placed, says so much in the uh, in the course of that song.
2: I don't have much to add to what you guys said. Uh, in my hot. This is ironic considering this is the first Randy Newman album. My God, I got it when it came out, and I got into it as I said through short people my hot take is it's not my favorite. I think, um, I think that I like some of the music on here, although I'm not a big Eagles fan. Uh, but I think that this often he's, he, there are situations, but not stories. There there are sketches that don't get fully developed very well. And I think at this point in his career, he was trying to figure out maybe how to get some popular success. And Plug more into the idiom of the era, and and also looking for ideas in a different way after the maybe after the little, little uh, sorry good old boys. So uh, you know I agree. I think Baltimore is good. I, I like some of the music. I like you know like I like a song like Jolly Coppers on Parade musically doesn't go anywhere. Um, but uh, for me, a lot of the songs on the record are are uh, kind of not really very well developed. Um, they, They sort of start and then they just get a little bit inert. Uh, and 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 so to me, it's. And I think I'm a little more down on it than either of you are. As a, as a, uh, after the the ones that came before.
1: No, I, th- I think we, you and me, Matt, we're on the same level. And I think also this may have been the one that encouraged you know uh, bad habits because, of course, this is his biggest commercial success mm-hmm. by a long shot. On the back, of short people went to number two. I think it was kept out of the number one slot by some disco head. I can't remember which.
2: And by what the way, something? short people is a—it's uh, it, not a very interesting song. It's
1: not, You're right? A yes.
2: little <laughs> funny, but it comes out of the gate, ba ba, ba da, and it just doesn't change. It's very monotonous, actually.
1: Yeah, it wastes best moments right at the front and it doesn't develop in the way that a lot of other Randy Newman songs do. Which, of course, I think that takes us to Born Again, which he followed up uh, two years later, 1979. This is the one where Randy Newman is dressed in kiss uh, (laughs) makeup on the cover. Dollar signs over his eyes. Yeah, exactly. Dollar signs. Instead of like the normal kiss makeup, he's got dollar signs over his My eyes. favorite thing about
0: the cover, though, is that if you look at the picture on his desk, his wife and kids have face paint on, too. I, lo- I yeah. love that
1: note. No. Well, I, I appreciate that attention to detail. And yet, and yet the obvious of this, the obvious of that image almost in a way is a good synecdoche for what happens to Newman during the 80s uh, th- for these next few albums, which is that I, I don't know if, if anybody was less equipped to deal with the Reagan 80s. The greed <laughs> is good, Reagan 80s, where there's no subtext. It's all just text. It's all just obvious right there up front than Newman, who, who traded in irony and it traded in playing layers of music. And so the problem with this album, and of course the next few ones as well, I think, for the most part, is that it's so obvious yes yeah. the it's what's the first song it's money that i love well i mean yeah you know make us work for it randy you know no i i know it's money that i love okay well i think i pretty Clearly understand what the theme of this song is going to be. The The only songs that I really like on this album, and I do really like them, the one that's the ELO rip-off, which yes. I didn't fully appreciate. I, I knew heard. it before, yes. but, you know, Matt, you probably don't know this. We did an ELO episode. I listened. Long. I heard it. I yeah, we did it with Jack Butler. And of course, I'd never heard any ELO songs before then. So, like, I heard this song completely out of context. And now I go back and I listen to it, and I'm like, yeah, man, he really does a good job. Of sort of like pastiching the ELO sound. He does a magnificent job of it. And of course, people thought it was an insult, but as Newman said, it's like, listen, you guys, I wouldn't have worked that hard to capture what they sounded like unless I actually secretly liked the band, which is, of course, why Jeff Lynn is going to show up as a producer later mm-hmm. on. Oh.
2: Although it is, it is, worth saying one of the kind of funny things on that song is he gets a lot of the little details wrong, and it's like right. it's like the narrator is so dismissive of them, he can't be bothered to get the
1: facts, <laughs> like where they came from or how you even pronounce the city. From. How, how
2: many there are in the band? And it's, right, exactly. It, the is actually works there.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a really good song, and I think that's the best song on this record. And otherwise, man, I don't know. This is just this. This one is is a real step down for me. But but maybe you know maybe Scott's going to be the guy who's going to speak out against it. I
0: actually I actually will go to bat for um, parts of Born Again. It, it's uh, uh, especially it's money that I love, which Jeff mentioned. I'm sorry, but I love love this song uh that that Fats Domino piano line uh and 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 the uh, the writing it, I think it even is funnier when you, when you consider he had been hanging out with the Eagles and Don Henley specifically when you get to I think that second verse right they say that money can't buy love in this world but it'll get you a half pound of cocaine and a 16 year old girl at a great big limousine on a hot September night now that might not be love but it's all right I mean that right there That's that's like Don Henley's Life story in 1979
3: Say that money Can't buy love in this <laughs> world You get your half pound of cocaine A 16 year old girl great big long limousine On a hot September night Now that may not be love But it is all right
0: I did notice. I saw him playing live, and he changed the lyrics. He made it a nineteen-year-old girl, and I don't yeah. know when that actually happened. But you know, uh, Randy Newman sold out. <laughs> selling out, yeah. But I, I, it's money that it happened.
2: So, it did definitely happened sometime after he had a daughter. I think. <laughs> yeah, that
0: would make some sense. Uh, I love "It's Money" that I love. I really, really, really like that song. Uh, Story of a rock and roll band is great. They just got married. Uh, the, the 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 lyrics in that to me are classic Newman, the the twist, right? Because it's a story, it even starts out, it's an old, old story. Man and woman get together, get married, move out to the West Coast, they have a baby, they're really happy, the wife goes for a routine doctor appointment, and then Newman says, anyway, she dies. And then there's one more <laughs> verse where he says the guy finds a, a rich woman and they got married and moved out to Los Angeles. That's the song. Um, I, I, like the way, I like the way that's set up and, and paid off uh, by Newman in the writing. And I look, there's a song at the very end called Pants. And I would not have said much about it, but I, I, I did read Newman uh, uh, writing about it and what it is. Because it's basically, uh, I'm going to take my pants off and no one can stop me. That's essentially the song a new one that was, was saying, it was
1: about I'm going to see like sticks right sticks like in that. Kansas and I like mean a this, rock show
0: this faux danger in rock music which actually uh, our very last episode, Ben Folds and and the the Rock and the Suburb song gets at that too. You know, you better watch out, or I'm going to say you know the word uh, that I don't want to bleep myself with. But pants is the same way, right? It's like fake danger. Hey, I might take my pants off, and no one can stop me. I'm dangerous. Um, so I, I I like it more that I know the the backstory to it. So it's not it's not a hit back to front. I, I think like spies especially is, is 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 not a really good song on this album. But uh, but there are some really high points on Born Again that I, I certainly will fight for.
2: I. I um... My take would be that this is an album that tells you how hard what he's trying to do is because getting satire and observation right, it, there's too much that's too on the nose here. You know, uh, to me, I, I, I like musically, I like uh, They Just Got Married, but it's a very easy target. It's very on the nose. Um, there's it, Interestingly, we talked about the use of the offensive language in Good Old Boys. There's some slurs thrown in here, and a couple songs that are just kind of—they feel very uh, gratuitous and generic. Like he's—he's he's trying to recapture that feeling, but they don't add anything. They're just kind of offensive and unnecessary. Um, you know, I think and I, I do. Uh, one song you guys did mention, I will just put in a little word for is "Ghosts," which is probably you know, it's—it's it's a minor song, but it's it, there's some character work there that's interesting.
3: Once I flew- in a war, we lived in a castle, slept on the floor, and I don't want to be all alone anymore, Street,
2: the colored kids one, and one thing, I'll, I'll split the difference between you on it. It's Money That I Love in this sense. I don't know that the song has aged that well, but it's it's alongside other, something like Lawyers in Love or other songs in 1979, 1980 that were written as the baby boom generation really started to curdle into the yuppie generation, <laughs> So it was – I think it probably stood out in the context of that era to say things like that that it does to us today. But I'm not sure it's lasted very well. So I think think here he – getting – it's such a fine line to walk on satire and the target has to be right and the wording has to be right. I just think he misses the mark most of the time here.
1: I agree with you. And, of course, he was really stung by the commercial reception of this album. He Mm -hmm. said he thought it was magnificent and he expected it to be a big seller, especially after Little Criminals had been such a success, and it wasn't. It failed. And what did he do? He turned to to the family profession after this. What did he do? He started writing soundtrack music. He started getting involved with scoring films. And, of course, this has eventually become what Randy Newman is more known for, I think, by people these days – for better or worse, than his amazing career as a solo artist. He, I think, the first one, he, first job he took was with Ragtime in 1981. He might have done something before that, I don't know. Uh, but then, you know, he would do the Natural later. Everybody knows that famous, you know, to doo-doo, do 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 do. That's, that's Randy Newman. He wrote that. Um, a lot of other stuff on that record as well. Um, all the way up through the Toy Story, Disney Pixar film. So it took a long time for his next album to come out. 1983. and It's Trouble in Paradise. And I got to say, this is not an A-level album. I'd say maybe it's a B, B minus, but it's one of those albums where I think half of the material is genuinely good. And I'll tell you that the big hit from it is I Love LA, which a lot of people who are actually from LA actually love, which I think <laughs> is a good sign that you've done a good job in encapsulating your town. I love, I love LA. And the reason I think that's funny is that I hate Los Angeles as a city. I consider it a cesspool that should be nuked from the air just to be <laughs> sure. Um, but the song is great. The song is just a ton of fun. Look, I could and listen to it, that song on
0: repeat and have over and over again from start to finish. Yeah, it's a We're well, talking about rest. like just
1: driving with the hood down, listening to the Beach, Beach Boys, Boys, with yeah. like a cute redhead and you know in the passenger seat next to you. I mean, yeah, that that really is kind of what the Los Angeles experience is about. And there's again, there's, there's nothing. There's, I don't think there's anything particularly subtextual about it. Randy Newman genuinely loves Los Angeles. It's where well, he's that's from. from.
2: I I I disagree a little bit. I think that thing about the the, the look at that bum over there. Yeah. There's Oh, yes, he's got to throw at least one little observation but, in, but, right? But I think it feeds the song in the sense that what what I think really is great about the song. By the way, this is what's weird about the album if you listen to your name is he's kind of almost happy in some parts of this. It's a really yeah. bouncy album is it, it's goofy, it's silly. He's Los Angeles is kind of shallow and empty and but you love it anyway. I mean, it all kind of works together in this kind of weird way. It actually makes it a better song because he's not overstating the, the wonderfulness of Los Angeles. He's just in a great mood bouncing
1: down the highway with the top down. Right. This isn't Louisiana, 1927. <laughs> this, is, this is like I love LA. Let's all just you know like cruise out on the Sunset Strip and like you know get high. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> yeah, and the empty, and sort of the shallowness
2: of LA, particularly the way it was perceived at that time, is part of the theme of the song. Right.
0: To be mentioned too it wasn't a huge hit when it was released at, at all i love la now these days it's used in tons of movies and and you know soundtracks and anytime someone gone, wants, that, right that, that's a great uh, montage and they, God, i love it but uh, it didn't get big uh, somewhat big until the 84 olympics in la and they sort of tied that into the marketing campaign but as a single you know as a song from the album it didn't do very well and so you know kind of the commercial Uh, You know, people know I Love LA, I think, by this point, because of its many, many uses. But at the time, it was not that big of a song.
2: It also had, it also uh, was still fairly early in the MTV video era. And the video is is pretty (laughs)
1: funny. And that, I think. It, it is pretty funny He's just driving around again with like a hot redhead Who, I, who I, he must have been involved with Because she appears in like you know some of his Other videos from that <laughs> era and Like there's all these crowds of people just saying like I love LA you know like everybody Seems to you know to be in on the joke It's just actually pretty pretty fun Very very early 80s material it also Speaking inspired Songs uh, about what were you saying it about? also
0: inspired Cheech Marin's parody born in East LA Which is really yeah, cool.
1: which is a very different Place yes, yes, yes. but talking <laughs> about songs about places. I think the other song, there are two other songs in this album that I really think are just top shelf superb. And they come back to back. The first of them is Miami, which is another song. Randy Newman, ran, this guy knows how to write a song about a city, but man, he, he again, I, I know people who were born and raised in Miami who, gets, who say like, this song captures what this city is about you know better than anything else everything from like the sun and the fun and the beach to like the girls to the 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 best dope in the world the cocaine everywhere you know there's a bad man over there his name is medina he comes from argentina obviously a cocaine dealer you know like he gets everything and it's all set to this really impressive musical like hook which is kind of this nagging two note thing that goes back and forth uh miami is a song that musically is a lot more. Uh, complex than, you know, than you might expect given the character sketch, you know, that he's trying to draw about the city. And I just think it works so well. and I don't want to say this because I figure both of you like it as much as I do. And I think Real Emotional Girl is one of the great highlights of Randy Newman's career. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that.
0: Scott? Yeah. Um, that's actually, I mean, that's not one of my, <laughs> this is not my favorite Randy Newman album and so I, I, I don't want to, <laughs> if Matt wants to go, go ahead.
2: Well, y- look, i I might, I, I, Remember getting this album when it came out So I probably have a slightly different experience I, I like it more than I think you guys do But it's it's spotty I think what works well really works well And what misses misses uh, I So I like Other stuff on the album I, I like Real Emotional Girl which is another Just kind of very beautiful But in some ways more complex song than some of his others Because the relationship between the narrator And the Real Emotional Girl is tricky But is a very Moving portrait but look, I think of this uh, fairly or not, I think of it as a happier, bouncier album. So I'm a big fan of My Life is Good. <laughs> yeah. It's a very funny song and has yeah. a little poke at Bruce Springsteen. One of the things that starts to happen around here with Randy Newman is he, I don't know if it's a full character, but he sings more songs going forward in kind of an exaggerated version of himself as right. a really rich Southern California jerk. <laughs> um, and they don't all work. But this one is a very funny song where he's, you know, arguing with his kid's teacher about how important he is and trying to oppress her. And I went over to see Bruce Springsteen. That's right. And the the the, the kicker is, he asked me, how would you like to be the boss for a while? Right. It's really, and you, you know that guy, you know that jerk. And it's very funny. I, I think I, I'm probably alone on this. I like the blues.
1: Which, oh, no, no, no. You're not alone at all. That's the one with Paul Simon on it. Yeah.
2: I yeah. Good I mean, the blues, the interesting about the blues is it's the, of all the things we've already talked about, that's the one song Randy Newman has ever said he regrets writing. <laughs> uh, because, you know, the poor kid in the blues is like going back to his room and finding solace in his music and he's not appreciating it. I think it's a hilarious song if you spend enough time with music, and it almost creeps up to Paul Simon, almost seeming like maybe he has a sense of humor.
1: No, <laughs> but he, he see, I don't think he understood. I don't think he understood. has <laughs> got the blues, this has got the blues
2: You can hear it in his music He's got the
3: blues. My daddy ran away
4: with the woman he met on the train. Oh, his little boy ran to a room where his piano lay in wait for him. He played and he played. He played and he played. And
2: and I agree with you on Miami. Another one I like. I, I wouldn't call it a major song, but I think is is a, is a, is a pretty good song. Is Take Me Back. Um. And and so I think it's a pretty good album. I think the things that that don't work partly are they're dated. I think Christmas in Cape Town is a real effort at this time for him to you know come out with another kind of powerful, potent you know maybe race inflected statement. The problem, aside from the fact that I don't think it's as interesting as some of the earlier stuff, is the context of South Africa and the apartheid era of 1983 is really doesn't translate very well anymore. Mikey's is, to me, just a lot of noise. It's never worked very well as a song. Yeah. Um, and you know, Song for the Dead, which a lot of people like at the end, there was this kind of period in the early 80s where after years of not really talking about Vietnam, people started to write songs about it. So this is, you know, Billy Joel was writing Goodnight Saigon, which is not a good song, and <laughs> Bernstein was doing Born in the USA. And I, I don't, I, I think this is well-intentioned, but it's it's never blown me away that much. One more thing I'll say, I kind of like, it's not, I, I kind of like I'm different. And Scott, you mentioned on the last album, the interaction with the chorus. I like when he starts doing this more too. I like when his narrators argue with and interact with yes. the chorus. And I do love <laughs> the singing, the backup singing is nice and the way that they reinforce it and yeah. he has the back and forth with them. It's it's a it's a very charming song.
1: I think the last thing I want to say is that I, I, I just think "Real Emotional Girls, another one of those great Randy Newman portraits. That that's an honest portrait of an actual person and a person that you know we know that people know when they when they listen to that song, and and it, you know it doesn't have again any. There's no cruelty to it. There's no subtext. She's talking about like she's a real emotional girl who wears her heart on her sleeve, and every little thing that you tell her, she'll believe. Um, you know, she lives deep down inside herself, and then what's you know what's the Line, you know, you know, she met a boy who broke her heart. Now she lives alone, and she's very, very careful. Yes, she is. Um, you know, just it's a really graceful portrait of a really delicate girl who's you know been through some tough times and is obviously a you know very emotional person but uh you know tries not to let it show and nevertheless does uh it's it's kind of like on an album that i think has a lot of sort of you know as matt said a lot of really bouncy bright kind of over the top stuff um this is a moment of real subtlety
3: Deep inside herself, she turns on easy like a hurricane. You would not believe it. Gotta hold on tight to her.
1: Um and it kind of explains why I do not like this is one of my least favorite Randy Newman albums. The next one, Land of Dreams, took five more years off. 1988, end of the 80s, he <laughs> comes out with this one. This is the one that I don't like. Um, you know, there there's there's a Jeff Lynne produced song on this record. I yep. I don't even know which one it is. I assume it's the Tom Selleck movie one, right? Mm-hmm. Falling, yes, in, falling love. in love. Yes, sounds like Jeff Flynn, right? I don't like, you know, bad news from home. Oh, I I like like, that one. I like bad news from home. eh, What I really don't like is it's money that matters, which again, you know, what's what's talk about somebody who sounds like they're repeating themselves you know it's he's a decade later from born again and it's money that i love and now he's just saying it's money that matters you know it's like "Mm, you know maybe you're running out of themes to roll with
2: well you and you guys you guys did your dire straight show too but the mark knopfler guitar is way too turned up on that
4: yeah
0: it's it's
2: all over that song it's it's, it is it's it's almost a transparent effort to get one more big hit
0: it worked I mean, though think, it was number one on the mainstream rock tracks that year so uh, it was it worked well,
1: shows you what i know i'll tell you the <laughs> one song that i really do like on this is dixie flyer which is you know sort of an autobiographical song his mom's maiden a name or i don't know if it was a maiden name, it was her nickname was dixie and this is about his childhood and his mother's childhood that's a beautiful piece of the music
3: Great Rye whiskey from a flask in the back seat. Trying to do like a Gentile do. Christ, they want to be Gentiles too. Who wouldn't die now, wouldn't you? An American Christian. God.
1: And I think New Orleans wins the war. Those are the first two songs on that album, which are both pretty autobiographical. And I think the album cover photo is actually a young Randy Newman dressed up as like a cowboy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that explains that those are good songs. But the rest of this is, you know, it, it, it's, it's the moment where there's just there's too much 80s. There's too much, I think, lack of inspiration, even given how much time he'd taken off from the last one.
2: Yeah, and I, I would I I'm we don't want to spend much time here. Uh, at least I don't. I agree with what you said. I like Four Eyes, okay, too, which is the third autobiographical song before he sort of moved on. But I will say, Masterman Man and Baby J <laughs> is the worst Randy Newman song. It's <laughs> painful. You know, that's
1: going to be my top five at
2: the end, Matt. Yeah, go. Sorry about that. But the the the, uh, the best thing I could say about that song, and I was thinking about it, is Randy Newman takes big swings. Which I admire, but when you take big swings, sometimes you have big misses and <laughs> this is worse.
0: I would say um I really do like Bad News from Home, which Chef does not like. It's a it's a very like film noir sounding song, very dark and ominous. It's a it's a murder ballad, essentially, uh coming toward the center of the album. I do like that a lot. I think the Jeff Lynn produced song is okay, falling in love. Uh, there are a lot of production missteps. There are some um, I think Red Bandana is not very good. I actually don't like four eyes a whole bunch that last song um i want you to hurt like i do yeah, uh has that's some, it's okay yeah um and and th- just that first verse um where newman writes a little bit more about himself which he rarely did previously but on land of dreams the first three <laughs> songs are basically about him and, and his life growing up and i think I, I want you to hurt like i do could be considered a biographical one too it talks about um running out not his children and his wife and um uh, uh, everyone was crying when he left, except for his his young son. And he put his armor on his young son and said, "I just, you know, I just want you to hurt like I do." And you're like, what? Um, that's a very strange delivery. And the second one is kind of like a uh, second verse is kind of like a the "We Are the World." You know, if Randy Newman could tell the people one thing, he'd say it's a rough, rough world, it's a tough, tough world. Things don't always go the way that we plan. Uh, I, just, I, I think, I think he was consciously. I think I've read he was consciously trying to write an
2: answer song to "We Are the World," hmm. which. It shows, you know, sort of the cockiness, I suppose. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, anyway, what a contrast that that would end up being from, I think, the best song on, on his next album. His next album, by the way, a decade-plus mm-hmm. Goes by before he releases his next album, which is Bad Love, nineteen ninety nine. I actually grouped the last three albums up until the present day of Randy Newman's career, kind of in the same batch. And maybe maybe it helps if we treat them that way. They come out over long spans of time. In the meantime, he's occupied with his film soundtrack work. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, you have Bad Love, you have Harps and Angels, and then you have his most recent album, Dark Matter, which actually just came out, uh, I think, in twenty eighteen. So it's it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty yep. it's pretty fresh. Um, Uh, but you know the the, I want you to hurt like I do contrast that well by the way before I continue um there is a musical that came out in the meantime, Faust, Randy Newman's Faust. Uh, this, he'd always been obsessed kind of with musical theater as as far back as Johnny Walker's birthday, which is what was turned into good old boys. But, you know, he actually ended up writing a play or a musical, if you will. And uh, eventually he got staged and then he recorded a soundtrack album. I think we both, all agreed to pass over it. it he sings on it and you know, it is scored and all that. I don't really think the material is that great. I don't really think it works that well. He gets a cast of like superstars. He gets you know like Don Henley and you know uh, he was uh, Bonnie Raitt and Linda Ronstadt. All these people. Elton Elton. Elton John, right? I mean, like you know all these all these superstar friends come in to help out and sing all these songs. But I really think the material holds up. I also think it's very telling that he took the best song from it and ended up re-recording it for his next album. But when he finally returned to solo work, it's with Bad Love. Um, I know you guys like this album a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't, this is a, by the way, uh, a reverting, a reverting to his sort of more traditional musical verities in terms of the sound, the eighties ticks, the production ticks, they're gone. It's, you know, piano, orchestra, strings, tasteful drums, guitar. It's, you know, it it's got a nice sound to it, but I feel like most of the music is uninspired. The one exception of, to that uh, maybe I also like I, I like the ending song I want everyone to like me because it's a complete piss tick he doesn't want everyone to like him. <laughs> he's, 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 he's willing to like you know play a joke and tell you that he thinks that uh, I miss you is the song that I really love and that's the song that he wrote to his ex-wife who he you know they divorced in 1987 um, you know after being married for like 25 years or something like that and it's just a naked confession again no artifice just him actually just being honest you know or like you know, I want to thank you for the good years, um, and apologize for the rough ones. You must be able, laughing yourself sick up there in Idaho, but I wanted to write you one song before I quit, and this one's it. And then it just ends with him saying, "I miss you," and "I miss you," and I wanted you to know that I miss you, and I still love you so. It's painfully beautiful, you. Know? It's, uh, again, maybe maybe the finest song of his late career. And it's stuck on an album that I otherwise don't much care for.
3: But I want it
2: also a song, uh, you know, he remarried I think in 1990, and he was asked about how his second wife felt about the first <laughs> song, and he said something like uh, you know, I decide what to write, it's my song and, and, which is, which sounds brutal, but it's just a reflection of the artistic imperative, the output to say those things um, I, it is, a, this is, I do differ with you on this, I like a lot of the songs on the album, I think, by the way the music is great on these last three albums I think it's again, these it doesn't feel dated anymore. I like it comes out of the gate with my country, which is basically sounds like it's going to be a warm tribute to family. And it's basically about how the family all watches television mm-hmm. and passes on down <laughs> to the, the generations, which he has <laughs> said is what his family was like. Um, I, I like a uh, I, I, shame is another one where he gets into an argument with the, uh, with the backup singers in a funny way. I'm dead, but I don't know it, which is about rock stars uh, well past their uh, expiration date still performing maybe it's a little self-mock but i've always thought you know maybe i heard a little springsteen or others in there uh it's probably something you guys should play in the back half hour of about a third of your shows but uh, it's a, i think it's it's a little on the nose but it's a funny song i think um and and i miss, i agree with you about it, i miss you um, the, the the second half of the album isn't as good, but the other one I, I like, which I think is a pretty good song, is "The World Isn't Fair," yeah. Yeah. where he has his argument with Karl Marx, and it 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 has a great little kicker in those lyrics.
4: Yeah, it's
2: great, where because the song is you know basically about uh, Karl Marx, you know was an idealist and had this inspiration and saw the world wasn't fair. And he that contrasts with then Randy Newman, who is a liberal, a famous liberal and is really kind of in sympathy with those things, but has a lot of money and lives in in Southern California in his show business and goes to his kids' school with his wife and it's all these young mommies are there and they're very beautiful with and he says, with froggish men like me, unpleasant <laughs> to see. <laughs> and and then he starts talking and I just want to say those last words because Again, and there's a, there's, there's a sting after sting. Carl, the world isn't fair. It isn't and never will be. They tried out your plan and brought misery instead. If you'd seen how they worked it, you'd be glad you were dead. <laughs> just like I'm glad I'm living in the land of the free, where the rich just get richer, and the poor you don't ever have to see. Mm-hmm. It was us, Carl. And then there's still one more working,
1: because we care that the world isn't, isn't fair. fair.
2: You know, and... Every bit we care It's uh, I think it's There's so much in it That is self-parodying And parodying Of sort of a platitude And it's It's a I think it, it, I, I really like it. It's uh, His political stuff Doesn't always work But I think that song Really works Because in the same way We were talking With some of the other stuff It speaks to some Some, some larger realities About how we are And our own Sort of hypocrisy I, the I
1: fearlessness I, of it Right It, it goes there I'd say call I reason
3: Into a new family Two little children in school Where all little children should be I went to the orientation All the young mommies were there Cause you never have seen such a glorious sight As these beautiful women arrayed for the night Just like countesses, empresses, movie stars and queens They'd come there with men much like me Froggish men, unpleasant to see Were you to kiss one car, marry a prince would there be
0: yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I'm with Matt. I think this is, Bad Love is my favorite of these last, most recent three albums. And uh, I was literally going to highlight the same thing that, that he did with The World Isn't Fair. It's a great, great song. Um, I also like Great Nations of Europe, which is kind of an, uh, not an update, but a, uh, uh, r- uh, kind of recalls political science from, from the earlier album. Every Time It Rains, uh, just a pure heartbreak album. Every Time It Rains, it reminds me of you and just how lonely my life is going to be. I may say I don't mind it at all but i do um Big Hat No Cattle is another cu- like country western pastiche that I think works pretty well. Jeff mentioned I want everyone to like me, which is a, a very good song. I, I think Bad Love is a is a really excellent uh, record, and and again all three of these are good. There's just there's no way around that. But I think Bad Love is my favorite of the three. I think Jeff likes Harps and Angels quite a bit, which was the next one nine years after the fact. There's a pattern coming here.
1: Yeah, there's, yeah exactly. It takes him a decade of like building up songs after yeah. he's you know been doing you know Pixar films. To like come back to it, right?
0: <laughs> um, the the leadoff track there, the uh, the the title track "Harps and Angels" is really very very good. Uh, I like losing you quite a bit. Um, something that that pops up in these late albums is. Um, the heartfelt songs are the ones that connect with me most uh, on these on these last few albums uh, that I think he really writes the heck out of. Uh, losing You is another one of those kind of heartbreak tales. When you're young and there's time, um, y- you'll forget oh. the past. You don't think that you will, but you do. And then Newman says, I don't have time enough. I'll never get over losing you. That's a great little phrase, turn of phrase there in that song. Uh, feels like home is very good, too. But I think uh, Jeff liked this one quite a bit, yeah?
1: yeah sorry about that yeah no absolutely i like this one a lot and and the thing i like about this album is that again you have the you know the sort of down-home sound it's a more modest sound but you have it in service of, of much better music harps and angels as you said it's just hilarious uh you know it's about a real thing that happened to randy newman he yeah. had like a heart attack yeah. i think something like that or he passed out you know and the music is put in service to that so brilliantly so like they you know it's like, he says, like at first my knees begin to tremble and then my heart begin to pound and it was arrhythmic. I lost my equilibrium, you know, face down on the ground. And and the music actually starts to like get arrhythmic. It starts to pound and shudder and thud. And, you know, it's, I lay there on the pavement and a tear around, ran down my face because I knew I was dying. And of course, that's when the harps and angels come in. And it could be just like another joke, but it's not. I mean, it is a joke. He knows. This, this guy is, is we've Already discussed is, you know, kind of a famous atheist, but is sort of aesthetically and intellectually fascinated by the idea of God and by the idea of death, eternity, the afterlife. Maybe because it's such ripe fodder for him as a songwriter. You know, he can just you know mine it for so much gold. But I really think that's a lovely song. No,
3: behold, almost immediately I reasons believe my prayers been heard in a very special place. But it's what happened. I heard the sound. Yes. Yes. It was harps and angels. Harps and angels coming near. I was too sick to roll over and see them, but I could hear them singing ever so beautifully in my ear. Then the sound. And and it sound like background voice come down Not from the heaven
1: above. of love from the new one. and i think it's the others, sense. the other songs that i really like on this um and i know i know matt maybe doesn't like this one that much but i actually really like korean parents hmm. and the reason i like it is is i have a friend who's korean and, and her parents loved this song hmm. Oh, yeah, they absolutely adored this song. This song is the classic song, uh, you know, written. I mean, again, it almost feels autobiographical. It's like by dad Randy Newman lamenting his lazy slacker kids. Um, like, why aren't you guys, like, trying hard in school? And so he's, like, saying, you know, especially this is Los Angeles, where there's, like, a, a really huge Korean population. You know, he says, like, you know, you know Korean parents, you know, they'll discipline you. They'll, they'll get their kids into the shape. And he has that great line. He's like, look at the numbers. That's all I ask. Who's at the head of every class? Do you really think they're smarter than you are? No, they just work their asses off. Mm-hmm. Their parents make them do it. You know, he's like, your parents aren't the greatest generation. I'm so sick about hearing about the greatest generation. That generation (laughs) could be you. So let's see what you could do. Um, It's almost like advice for parenting. It's the way that like we think of when we read those editorials in the Wall Street Journal about tiger moms. Mm. You know, like, oh, why aren't we tiger parents? Why are these other parents eating our lunch? Why are we letting our kids down? And, of course, you know, my friend who is, you know, know, Korean and our parents were like exactly like that. They love that song. They considered it an immense compliment. <laughs> and so like I don't know how other people treated it, but they were like they were deeply proud of that. Like, yes, that is who we are. That is that that is that is what our culture is like. So I've always had a soft spot in my heart for it. So I really like the last two
2: albums broadly musically. There's really nothing I, I don't like. You're right. I'm not as fond of Korean parents only because I it feels to me always like he's he's trying a little hard to stir controversy in a different time, and I would say in general and and you know this is this album and the next one, the big showstoppers. So sometimes uh, you know he, he in his later years he's occasionally sort of you know played to the audience a little aggressively, and so a few words in defense of our country was out there was big, and there's a couple uh, on the next album. And I think they don't always work as much as the quieter songs uh, do, and 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 so I re, I, you know, uh, like I said, I like everything, but I agree that I, I, what I really like is losing you, which also really has a has a nice touch coming in just after uh, Harps and Angels, and and I, I another one I kind of like on this is Only a Girl, which is a little different, which mm-hmm. is kind of an older man singing about the young woman that he's dating on the phone to a friend and realizes over the course of the call that you know he's got a problem here (laughs) maybe she's just after his money um i like potholes which is is so funny that was the other one i was gonna (laughs) it's it's, it's, it's like about the joys of forgetting
1: (laughs) But, but the specific anecdote he tells is hilarious like you know he used to be like a high school pitcher and then he had a meltdown one day where he walked 14 people in a row and he like walked off the mound crying like a baby and so then he brings his new wife or girlfriend over to meet his aged father and that's the first thing that he tells her is that story where he <laughs> looks like 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 a whiny little like child and then even better, the next time he brings her over, he tells the story again because he can't forget whereas Randy Newman has learned how to forget it's such a good lyric
3: God bless the bottle on memory lane God bless the pothole. down on memory lane Everything that happens to me now it's consigned from living by my brain I remember my father, oh brother of course remember my mother spoke of her earlier and I remember that remember the smell of cut grass going off to play ball in the morning
2: it goes. It goes right to that. His, his and as he became a parent and his family grew, since he kind of had two families, but he understands families and parents and kids and the way they talk to each other. This comes. This is on the last album too. He he really gets at that really, really well, and you can you can feel that aggravation of your father dragging that story up again and again.
1: So it's. I like it. By the way, my mom does that to Noel, my wife. Every time we go home to visit, she'll be like, you remember the time? Oh, John, why, why don't you tell Noel about the time when Jeff walked out of the bathroom at the pool with his, his swim trunks around his ankles. Cause he couldn't pull them up. Like, like, Oh God, mom, why, why? I was, I'll tell you that.
2: my, my kid is older than I think either of your kids. And I'm already promising to do that to her one day.
1: <laughs> they, they, they love to humiliate us. They just do. And they never forget either. <laughs> Scott, do you have any thoughts or do you want to move on to the final album? it's uh, the Dark Matter. Yeah. Um
0: just out I think this is in last year, maybe at the end of twenty seventeen. Again, this is this is this is still very good. Um, it's just, it's, yeah. If you're a monk fan, uh you know it's a jungle out there, which was the theme song for that uh, USA show. That is here in a slightly different form. Uh a good song about kind of paranoia. Uh Sunny Boy, which is the song just before it, uh is based on a true story about uh, um, uh, Sunny Boy Williamson and, uh, and, 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 and uh, he was died in Chicago. Someone sort of took his music and his name that became a big success, set to the sort of brass band music. Sunny Boy is really good. I like She Chose Me Too, which is an old song. He wrote it for Cop Rock, apparently, um, <laughs> and pulls it off very nicely here on Dark Matter. And, um, the the big one here is the great debate, and that's literally, it's eight and a half minutes long or so, it's the science versus religion sort of debate, and Matt, you mentioned you like when Randy talks to the backup singers and, and, and sort of interacts, that's all over this great debate, which is more like a like a musical drama almost, uh, than a song uh, talking about dark matter and evolution and, uh, and Well, you uh, even
1: debate the songwriters like Mr. Newman, you're creating man's yeah. you know, like, listen, I believe in God but I'm not like, you know, but I believe in Evolution too, and in a life everlasting, no one can mock me down. And of course, Newman comes back, is like, "Oh yes, we can. We can <laughs> knock you down, Mister. We can knock everyone down because he's asserting his, uh, you know, uh, omnipotence as the author of the song. He mm-hmm. is basically playing God. I yeah. think that's the joke. He's God because he writes the tune and he pulls the strings. Let
3: me get this straight. You don't know what it is. You don't know where it is. We can't get any. Put that to one side let put the Lord Faith eternity whatever on the other side Show of hands the time, the time, yes I will. yes I will. yes I will. yes I will. Yes, I will. I, Jesus, I, Jesus, I Jesus every time yeah. Alright One nothing. Next one's gonna be a hard one. It's about the theory of evolution and it's about animals, also. So give me someone who knows something about evolution and
0: animals. Who you got? Uh, but yeah, very good stuff on uh, Dark Manner, which continues uh, the, the nine year streak uh, between, between albums.
2: I would. uh, 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 For me, I think again. I would mention that there's a lot of stuff I like. I really like the arrangement of "It's a Jungle Out There," that kind of swing jazz feel, which is just it's. You can't not tap your toe. I don't like Brothers that much. It's okay, but I think Putin is a lot of fun for the big songs. But the two that I just want to mention that I just really like is "Lost Without You." which is just a beautiful song to me of, you know, a, a widower lost, his wife's died, and he recounts the conversation she had with their kids as she was on her deathbed, where the kids were sort of saying, Dad's, you know, stumbled, and is he drinking? And she, she castigates the kids. Don't speak that way of him. He's been nothing but good to me. Uh, he needs you. Don't, you know, make sure he sleeps in his bed. If he wants to hold your hand, hold it tight. And and yet the narrators recounting that conversation is singing to his dead wife. Basically, I'm lost without you. Even if this road takes me home, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. It, I think it's beautiful. And and the last song on the album, "Wandering Boy," which I think also derives from some real events. Uh, there's a neighborhood party in the neighborhood of Los Angeles where he grew up, and I guess he's been going every every year since he was a kid. And and talking, thinking about the kids they saw when they were young, who were full of such promise and were going to big things, and how they, how they, uh, uh, their lives went awry. This is the narrator who's been going to this uh, version of this party all his life, uh, singing about his youngest son who used to come to this uh, party and is now a wandering boy, and and he doesn't know where he is. And I think it's gutting. I just think it's it's such a beautiful, simple song, and. Uh, on these last few albums, one of the really interesting things about Randy Newman as he ages is he's like a great singer of regret. Mm-hmm.
0: The,
2: the weight of life, the decisions, the, the the consequences, the living with the memories, Um, it, it, he's re- it's beautiful. And Wandering Boy, I've listened to a lot in preparing for this show again and again, and it, it really gets me. I think it's so... That, and that's the very last song he's released and so he's still going pretty strong where is my
3: wandering boy
2: if you see
3: him push him toward the light where is my wandering
4: He went off of that high boy there when
3: he was five years old, laughing like a maniac, shining in the sun.
1: I mean, he's a great singer of regret, but I have to admit, and I'm as surprised about this as anyone. This is an album I hadn't really heard until we started doing the show or planning the show. He's also still really good at writing political songs, which surprised me because I thought they had gotten stale. Putin is is amazing all right and it's almost like how does he get the memes he gets the memes like the this is all based around that famous image of like a shirtless putin riding around on a horse you know trying to, to prove how much of a man he is you say putin's getting big head and putin's hot head is just fine what was the line where he is like he, he can drive a giant tractor across the siberian yeah. plain? he could power a nuclear reactor with the left side of his brain and when he takes his shirt off he drives the ladies crazy you know and then of course, he's like you know, it's the Putin girls, and then like his backing vocals are like the, like the backup vocals, and then he points out as like Putin hates the Putin girls because you know he hates vulgarity. He's all upstanding and moral, and then he talks about as he walks with his ex-wife, <laughs> so he's a divorcee who hates
2: moral. It's just it again. I, I- I, I love I love that toward the end of that too when he's he's bragged the food girls who whipped Napoleon you did it when he says who won World War II and they go the Americans. Americans that's a good one <laughs> <Come> one ladies. <laughs>
1: so good. It's such a good song. And the thing is, is that I didn't think he had an in him anymore, but he still does. And, uh, you know, I guess hopefully he just keeps kicking him out. Maybe when he's 85 years old, we're going to get another one of these records because, yeah, he still has an in him. And I'm just so impressed to find out that that's the case.
0: Another record and another 12 soundtracks or so in between. Yeah, if, right. If Pixar is willing to hire. Uh, There is our look at the uh, career of Randy Newman. We come to the point of the episode where all three of the hosts give you two albums that you must own and five songs you should hear from our featured artists. We turn it over to uh, Matt Murray, editor in chief for The Wall Street Journal for his selections. Matt,
2: thanks. Uh, And I am afraid I'm going to make it harder for you guys because I'm going to make the obvious album picks. But, you know, especially if you don't know Randy Newman, I just feel sail away and good old boys are you know they're two of the greatest albums i think of the last uh, i don't know 50 years and certainly of the rock era that everybody has to have uh for all the reasons that we've talked about today um and my five songs and this list could change week to week uh, <laughs> where i'm at sail away um you know uh louisiana 1927 i think uh but but at different times of the good old boys I, and i was i almost didn't want to say it because i don't want to step on jeff's toes after everything you said on it but it it, it is great um i love la um i'm going to surprise you and go with uh uh a later thing I, I, the world isn't fair is one i just really uh love and go back and forth on uh a lot and uh um uh, I, I, and then I think my last one is going to be. Um, uh, I think it's going to rain today, which which you know is one that uh, I had liked and knew, and somehow in listening the last few weeks and really visiting it, just that that plaintive piano. We, I mean, probably didn't talk about it enough. Just really, really, really got in my skin. So those are my five.
0: Um, my two albums are. Maybe the same as Matt's, which I don't love doing because, I mean, to say that those two albums are the best is to somewhat imply that 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 was the peak and nothing's quite approached it. And I I, I mean, I suppose that's true, but really Newman's career from start to finish is extremely rewarding. Again, as we've kind of taken pains to point out, even these most recent albums have some excellent material. But yes, uh, Sail Away and Good Old Boys would be my two albums. On the songs uh, from Sail Away, love Burn On. The reasons stated earlier. Uh, from Good Old Boys, Rednecks, um, for a whole bunch of reasons, one of the best things he's ever done. Uh, I think Kingfish on uh, Good Old Boys also makes the list. Uh, from uh, Born Again, I'm, I, 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 it's money that I love. It's a great, great song. And then from uh, um, little, little Criminals, uh, Baltimore is on my list of five. And I also will take uh, host privilege and say uh, one soundtrack note if you've never seen Three Amigos, Randy Newman wrote a few songs for that that movie, and I tell you what, Blue Shadows on the Trail is one of the finest songs ever written for film, and I'm not kidding. It is a fantastic song, so go watch Three Amigos. Drop Uh, the
1: clip in here right now, Scott. (laughs) Jeff. All right. Well, the, the two albums for me are, are 12 songs. It's like the really the first full flowering of Randy Newman's songwriting genius and his weirdness. And then, of course, the second one is Good Old Boys. Good Old Boys is just a masterpiece. We all agree on that. As for my five songs, if I had to pick one from 12 songs, I'm actually going to do a strange one, not a commercial <laughs> one. I go with Suzanne. Suzanne, the best song about stalking ever written, uh, even better than Every Breath You Take by The Police. <laughs> um, then I'm going to move to Sail Away, the song that really actually introduced me to Randy Newman uh, you know, from the start. And uh, we talked about what a wonderfully uh, you know, you know, beautiful, painful, ambivalent song this truly is. Uh, then I'll go with Rednecks scabrously funny um uh, very difficult to talk about in any era not even now but back then there's no way this could have ever gotten played on the radio but it's it's randy newman at his incisive best uh my fourth song i'll say is from trouble in paradise it's real emotional girl it's you know him him his is not working on some sort of sarcastic ironic or writerly level just a really really heartfelt Portrait of a, a person, a, a girl that we've all known at one time or another in our lives, and then I guess I want to end with the, the greatest song that Randy Newman ever recorded, and uh, he ever wrote, and that's Louisiana, nineteen twenty-seven. Um, when the when the chorus, when 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 the uh, the strings and the chimes in the background swell up, and, and Randy's saying they're trying to wash us away, they're trying to wash us away. There's that. You know, that that helplessness, that that sadness, but also that that ray, that hope that they're not going to wash us away, that we're going to still be here. We're going to remain here long after the waters have receded, long after everything has flowed over us. We're going to still be here where we were for years and years and years. It, it's the finest song of his career.
3: President Cooley's come down to the railroad. that man with a notepad in his hand. President didn't say, little fat man, in need a shame. what the river has done this four crackers, lad. The wheezy Adam, the they're trying to wash us.
4: Just
0: wait. There is the Political Beach look at Randy Newman. We thank our guest for this week's episode, Matt Murray. He's the editor in chief for the Wall Street Journal, also author of The Father and the Son My Father's Journey into the Monastic Life, at Murray Matt on Twitter. Matt, thank you for joining us once again.
2: Thank you for having me back. I really, really enjoyed it.
0: Jeff, fine episode and uh, fun for me to dig into the career of Randy Newman. Uh, it was it was a pleasure,
1: and I will see you next time. However many weeks that is, get healthy. <laughs> your family healthy my man yes i will i've been selectively muting every time i had to cough up a
0: giant <laughs> like you know lungful of sputum at esoteric cd for jeff on twitter my name is scott bertram find me on twitter at scott bertram remember subscribe to our feed for new episodes itunes google play stitcher tune in or right there at nationalreview.com listen enjoy share please leave reviews also uh, connect with us on twitter at political underscore beats This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats.